All right, welcome everybody to episode 99. Mm. Done 99 of these. <laughs> it's insane. Uh, everybody's here again. Um, so let's do some quick catch up. Uh, Chris, what have you been up to? Well, <laughs> you'll all be really glad to hear that I finished Elden Ring again. Uh, <laughs> does that mean what I think that means? That That's exactly why I'm bringing this up, my good friend. So now we are clear to start on the the next game, Triangle Strategy. Oh awesome. wow, <clears throat> that's exciting! That is exciting. I've been, been waiting on this for a while. A bit. Yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna put it in the Switch. See if there's any updates. I'll do that tonight. Probably won't get any chance to play tonight, obviously, with us doing the recording. But maybe I'll get some time tomorrow. It's supposed to rain a little bit. We'll be in the house, and uh, yeah, I, you know, three times all the way through. I still love playing Elden Ring. It's a fantastic game, but I can give it a break. Play another game for a minute. So that was the Faith build. Uh, yes, that you were talking about. Okay, and and, and I will be honest. Since the demo, right? No, I would say that at least so far, because I've not done a strength build. I've done a Dex build. I've done uh, a Faith build and an Arcane build. And if you ask me, probably easiest to play through the game with so far probably arcane followed very closely with faith so um i'm taking notes here because i'm a baby (laughs) i would say for a new player um faith's not a bad way to go because you get a lot of buffs and uh and heals and and all that stuff in the faith tree so uh, lots of good stuff in there uh, but what, what um, kind of weapons favor decks? Is it like bow and arrow stuff? Like oh that? my! There's a gajillion weapons in this game. I realize you've only played like Bloodborne and Dark Souls, but you know how Dark Souls had like a bunch of weapons. This has like a ton more. I, I only that. use two weapons in Dark Souls. I yes, I, I, re- I realize you you failed Dagger, to, <laughs> spear. You, you failed to grasp the idea of uh, different weapon types. But yes. <laughs> No, that's the good thing about Elden Ring, I think, is a couple things. Number one, I think it's the first game in the series that, okay, I won't say forces you to, but really encourages you to use a couple different weapons in your repertoire. Because there's some weapons that are, I mean, there's some enemies that are weak against, like, strike damage. And there's some enemies that... Like, the ones that are weak to strike are, like, stone-type enemies a lot of times. And so if you use, like, a sword or something, like, a, a blade on them, you're not going to do hardly any damage. And right. they'll tra- they'll trash you. But you go to hammers or blunt weapons, and, you know, you can wreck them. Smash them up a bit. Yeah. So, again, it kind of rewards you for having a, a different repertoire, keeping a, a variety of different types of weapons upgraded and with you and rotating them through, because... A lot of bosses are really like, uh, like for example, a lot. Like it was a faith build. Like a lot of the bosses are really strong versus holy damage, and as you can imagine, with faith build, a lot of the weapons you're using are, are holy damage. But another weapon damage type that scales with faith is also fire. So you know, like for bosses, okay, I'll just go. I'll keep a fire weapon upgraded as well, and then I'll switch over to that when it's time to go against most of the bosses because I can trash a lot of the enemies, but it's not going to go real well when it comes to, to the bosses. Um, 
And there's a lot of different status effects in this game that just weren't there anymore. I mean, ones like we've never existed. Like sleep is a new um, status effect that you can use that can be really effective, as you can imagine, against enemies that are weak to it. And um, the, the old traditionals come back. I mean, you've got lightning, you've got fire, you know, holy type damage. Um, and then bleed, which has been around for a while, is still there, but bleed's very strong, uh, tied to arcane. And then um, there's also, similar to the old games where they had poison and then like, uh, like plague, this one has poison and rot. And so those are also... So again, and then there's also Frost. There's just a lot. A lot of different status Jeez, yeah. types, weapons you can go with, and they have their own upsides. And they, you know, different statuses scale with different stats. And anyway, it gives you a ridiculous amount of room to play with different styles of play. I mean, you can even totally run through this game using only shields if you want to. Um, I mean, they it's crazy the variety that they give you to play with. But... Um, yeah made a deal with my son if he gets all bees or above uh he wants elden ring so i said so i get that so i should know in about two to three days from now it's gonna it's gonna be close he's got he's got pretty good grades going into his exams so we'll see yeah they've you know they've made dual wielding really very very viable in this game if you want to go that way or if you still want to stick to like board and sword you can go that way again like i said you can just go full shield if you want to it's uh, it's kind of crazy, to be honest, all the stuff. There's a lot of magic. You don't have to use any magic. I mean, yeah, there's still all the old bows. There's even a cannon in this one that you can get and use, which is kind of fun in some of those circumstances. Push it around in front of you? Or? No, it's, it's this thing called the jar cannon, and it's just like, it looks like a giant jar that basically you stuff with ammo, and so it's slow, right? You're stuffing it with, right. like, this ammo, and then boom, and... Uh, hits real hard, really slow, and so obviously, you know, it's not always going to be the Sweet. best thing to use, but it's kind of crazy, the, some of the yeah, stuff that you awesome. can come up with. So, yeah, hope you uh, get a chance to play it. It's a fantastic game. Um, if you pick it up on PlayStation and you guys pick up some PS Plus, let me know. I'm happy to play I, through. I'm somewhat confident at some point my son will want another month or two of PS Plus, so it's this not game, a totally realm possibility. This game, I, you know, you don't have to have online to play, but I think it adds quite a bit. I, I meant more like he'd want it for, like, Fortnite. Oh, God. Minecraft or Terraria or something. Well, he'll want to be along online as well because there's a lot of Fortnite meme stuff in Elden Ring now. Because <laughs> people can write messages, and two of the words you can use are Fort and Night. So there you go. <laughs> you imagine what the kids are going to be doing. I can only imagine. And also, uh, you'll also find out really quickly that uh, the words uh, finger and hole are <laughs> yeah. also options. Finger by Remember hole. that. Yes. That, yeah. Yeah, you'll see a lot of that. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so that's ended up there. I'll be ready to start some triangle strategy. I'm excited to get into that one. Been feeling like a good strategy game. So uh, hopefully that'll scratch that itch. Mm. Somebody was trying to prank me, but I'm going to play into it. And they uh, put on my outline here what my favorite corn album was. And so I had to write, uh, On the Cob is my favorite album. <laughs> With a K. Mortal Kombat style. <laughs> uh, but outside of that, uh, what have I been doing? I've, I've watched more of Star Trek Strange New World. 
And man, it's so good. <laughs> that series is so good. Um, okay, like this first season is, there's a lot of fan service going on. Like they know what Star Trek people want to see. And they're like, yep, here you go. You can have some. <laughs> and it's not like too heavy handed. We are like, okay, come on. You're just pandering. It's enough where you're like, Oh, <laughs> I didn't think you'd go there. Um, so yeah, they're doing a really fantastic job with it, having a great time, and uh, I think there's maybe a few more episodes. I realized the last episode of Obi Wan Kenobi came out. I've not watched it, so uh, I've only watched the first two episodes because I just want to wait till the rest came out. So um, if any of you have finished it, I would appreciate no spoilers. Uh, you can let me know what you thought, but uh, I'm gonna try to cram it out this week. And finish it up. You got it. So, um... I will not spoil it. Oh, yeah. Appreciate that. Um, I also watched Star Trek II Wrath of Khan because uh, I was watching Star Trek and I wanted to watch something good. And that movie never, ever fails to uh, entertain. And uh, even, like, in 4K. Uh, you, you can start to see a little of the proppiness in some cases, but it's still really well done and they spent all that time and money to redo the original motion picture recently and don't get me wrong i watched it and enjoyed it but that movie is so different um i feel like man they could maybe do give that kind of love just to wrath of khan and, and it would be more appreciated anyway not that i think there's a lot to touch up because the models and everything still really look very good in that film. Yeah. I mean, the way they shot stuff is really good. There's just a few scenes where it's pretty obvious, but I mean, minor stuff, really minor stuff. I, I love miniature model work in movies of from that era, 70s, 80s, 90s is where they started to be like, oh, we can get away with computer stuff. And it's like, oh, no, you couldn't. thought you that, but they can't yet. <laughs> um, but I'm telling like the, the stuff from like, like Blade Runner 82 some of those miniatures, like they they hold up to twenty thirty nine today. I think it's amazing how good miniature work is. So yeah, it's uh, I haven't seen um, uh, Star Trek uh, in a long time, but I've actually been feeling the itch lately um, to watch some of those original ones. So I might be right behind you there. Yeah, it's um, Picard is doing a little as well. So if you watch season two of Picard, um, it's got a lot of like ties into other places. I think they're doing a good job by their saying, hey, look, we recognize you fan base and the things you're interested in. We're going to bring those to you, but not in a sloppy way, right? It's not going to be like the the new universe movies where it was like, hey, we're just going to do Wrath of Khan again, but with different people, and it's not going to be great. Um, <laughs> it's more of like, we're just going to kind of start touching on these things and nodding to you from time to time, where I think new people would still enjoy the show and wouldn't feel left out. But the people that know are like, Oh, mm. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Um, I also watched time bandits, uh, because <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> uh, I guess I could preface this. Okay. So I was sitting down and, um, it was getting late and Bobby was in here and she was going to be going to bed soon. So I was like, well, I know she's not really going to watch a movie or anything. So I can put kind of whatever I want on. And Maddie, was, uh, my middle kiddo, was in the middle of the room, kind of getting ready for bed and everything. 
So I saw this one 70s movie that kept popping up in like my suggestion thing. It was called Clute. And I'm like, I've never heard of this ever. But it had like um, Donald Sutherland and um, Jane Fonda in it. So I'm like, well, Donald Sutherland's fantastic. So I'll give it a watch. Um, but about 10, 15 minutes in, I was like, oh, this is really not something I can have on with kids even possibly walking into the room. So, um, things of an adult nature, not that it was overly graphic, but I mean, just things you don't want to talk about. Right. So I'm like, okay, this has to wait. And I haven't gone back to it yet. I think I'll go back and watch it because it seems kind of like a thriller and Donald Sutherland's great. And, uh, but at that same like suggestion thing that was there was time bandits. And I haven't watched time bandits <laughs> since the early eighties. Cause it was like one of those movies that used to be on HBO a lot, like in the early eighties for some reason, over and over. And they must have got it cheap to re-show a lot. But um, I remembered very little of this movie. And, man, Time Bandits is a weird movie. <laughs> uh, Kelsey, because you said you got this one, right? I bought it at a secondhand store a couple of years ago and watched it for the first time and knew nothing about it. I was just like, this cover is wild. I want to try this. So I, I guess, I mean, I'd seen it once as a kid, uh, maybe once or twice, but I obviously it's been a forever, right? So what was your impressions of Time Bandit, watching it for the first time as an adult? So it definitely wasn't at all familiar. Like, it didn't feel like any other movie. Like, it has weird pacing. It goes weird places. The humor is really bizarre. The characters are bizarre. Like, it's pretty unique as a movie i thought yeah well it's um monty python folks right that put yeah, it together harry jillian is that right yes terry gilliam uh did that one because i think he did this one and then he went on to do brazil so right. i also picked up another one at the same time i haven't watched it yet called jabberwocky oh yeah uh. it's also by him I haven't seen I think that it's, one. I think it's the same idea, but like a fantasy-based one. So I'll, I'll, maybe I'll try and watch that before next show. Okay. Yeah, you have to let me know if it's any good. But Time Bandits is just, yeah, like you said, it's just in left field. It's very <laughs> its own thing. It doesn't always make much sense. The ending is like, what? <laughs> I, I wouldn't even say if it's like satisfactory. Not sad. It was just, just like, huh? It's just a fun ride. It's just wild. Bill, have you ever seen Time Bandits? Not Time Bandits. I've seen Jabberwocky. Um, uh, Terry Gilliam is quite out there. Um, so, uh, and he did um, Twelve Monkeys, right? Yes, he did yep. Twelve so Monkeys, that's, which I love that movie. Yeah, it's one of my favorite uh, to this day. Uh, it's one of my favorite endings, even though it's not a positive uh, ending. Sorry if that's a spoiler. But yeah, I, it kind of got me into looking at Terry Gilliam stuff. And I, uh, a manager of mine, when I worked at Babbage's, introduced me to what Criterion was because I did not know what it was before. He let me borrow his copy of uh, The Killer, uh, Criterion Edition, which is what got me into John Woo and Chow Yun-Fat. Um, and he also had the Brazil Criterion. So that was the first Terry Gilliam that I saw was Brazil with, uh, uh, um, what's his name, uh, Robert De Niro. Uh, who's kind of unexpectedly shows up in that. And it's like very, you know, kind of bureaucracy uh, and like the, the jokes of, uh, you know, kind of like the multiple layers and stuff like that. But yeah, uh, Terry's certainly out there. 
Um, but yeah, Twelve Monkeys is my is my top. But nope, I've not seen Time Bandits. It is also a Criterion collection. That's the one they've got streaming on. Um, I think it was uh, Paramount Plus where I saw that one. So uh, I don't know, Bill. Maybe if you want uh, some extra something to watch sometime, check out Time Bandits. I don't know how to prepare you for it. Um, <laughs> just if that sounds a, a weird thing, to. sounds interesting. Yeah, go for no, it. it I, I can tell you I liked it better than another movie that I saw recently. And we can get to that. We can get to that. But uh, that kind of rounds up what I've been watching. Um, and then outside of that, um, I've been doing a little bit of work. So like a while back, I had picked up um, like in a lot of some computer part stuff. I'd picked up um, an external... Um, floppy disk drive enclosure, you know, it's like, it's got the whole power. It's everything right. Um, for you kids that are too young to know, like way back in the day, it was very common to have floppy drives externally to early computers. That was an add on. And so, um, this, this one in particular, uh, is branded for like Tandy Coco computers, but it's, I mean, it's a disk drive, right? Um, so it's like a single sided double density disk drive. Uh, but it's a little beat up and in, out of, you know, not looking the greatest. It's got like some rust on the case and stuff. So I started the process today. I'm not done. I'm, I'm sanding the whole thing down to the bare metal. I'm going to, uh, I picked up some primer and some paint. So I'm going to sand it down, repaint it, um, probably recap everything at some point in time here. Rebuild it so it looks nice and neat. So it'll be something to use for my couple older computers. I've got a TRS... 80 model 3 and a a ti computer that can use that that particular drive so um thought i'd get it look nice save it from getting any worse for wear um power supply still looks good drive looks like it'll be fine so um just give me a little something simple to work on, on the side and then um got a cga monitor i need to do some work on i did some testing it's like i got it in that same lot uh it uh there's no display I'm pretty sure it's it's either gonna be I mean it's either gonna be um, I think a capacitor or a transistor in there, so I haven't had a time to go in there and tear it apart. I need kind of some space to open it up and kind of do an inventory of what I need to order for it. <clears throat> um, it even could be the cable. The cable kind of rusted up. So uh, the good news though is that all the stuff that's in it, unless there's some catastrophic error they can't see, but I don't think it's the tube or anything. Um, I should be able to get and do the work on. Um, and I'd like to have a CGA display because um, CGA displays or CGA in general, uh, and I think EGA as well, is um, it's not analog RGB, it's digital RGB. And so you really can't pipe it into any standard display that's around these days. Um, you need something that can handle digital RGB or you at least have to get some kind of th something that's going to convert it either to analog RGB or they do have ones that can convert to HDMI or whatever these days too. But those are not those are expensive, as you can imagine. So having to just want to see some stuff. Uh, I'll see if I can get this one up and running. And then I started so a little bit of work on, I've got an old, um, again, going back to that same lot, and in there as well was a um, uh, basically an IBM XT clone um, from the early 80s. So it's a you know, an 8088 machine, um, had a couple of disk drives in it. And, uh, but you know, it's 
Not in terrible shape. Could use a little work. Um, I get. I don't have a display for it, but I can hear it boot in the blind. So I, I believe it's, it's probably working just fine. I'll be able to see it at some point in time. I don't know if I have any real desire to keep it, but if I can get it up and going, maybe I can sell it or swap it out for something else that I'm interested in. Um, I've already harvested one of the floppy drives out of it that I wanted, and yeah, we'll see what happens to it after that. Nothing else. I can just sell off the parts. And... Uh, and yeah, that's kind of what I've been up to here lately, besides uh, a lot of just spending time with the kids. That's been, I've been doing a lot of dad time. So, how, how about you guys? Bill, what have you been up to? Yeah, so uh, I guess it's time for the, uh, the regular Steam Deck update. Since everyone's wondering how much we need, like I a am. a Steam Deck theme song, I think at this point, <laughs> Steam yeah, Deck, I'm, how long to the Steam Deck? Because I've got Steam, I've got my my regular Steam and Destiny uh, uh, updates. Um, so uh, the Steam Deck, uh, the average for June, uh, there's two emails a week, two batches go out a week, so the average for June is still right around five seconds. So April was like 1.1 seconds, May was two, and uh, june is uh is five so we're still there's a couple good jumps in there like a seven minute uh 55 second jump there was a 538 uh there was a 548 um the last couple were on the uh, smaller side but it's still averaging over five minutes per drop um which uh it's only like a few more weeks away from my estimate of a 711 so it's still looking because and it's looking like that day there's going to be like a 27 to 30 minute uh jump just from what the the wizards who are like collecting all this data are predicting with some of the information they have. So, uh, very happy to hopefully uh, have that coming through. I did grab a handful of um, uh, Steam Deck, uh, sa- uh, sorry, uh, Steam gift card sales. Um, can't remember if I mentioned this or not, but Best Buy a few weeks ago had a uh, like buy one get one X percent off uh, deal on some gift cards. So I maxed that out. And then I went to the local store and I just physically bought some there, you know, because they limited you online. So I'm pretty sure my Steam wallet is ready for the purchase. Um, and interestingly enough, I was just kind of browsing through Steam, uh, just uh, kind of putzing around earlier because the annual Steam summer sale is going on. Um, and since when it's ready to buy your Steam Deck, it's sold to you through the Steam marketplace. Like it's a product on Steam. It shows up in their top selling uh, game list because it's just a product, right? So like the number, the top selling game right now is Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, which is a bit of a surprise um, because it's a fairly new game. It's twenty percent off, but it's forty forty eight dollars. Number three is Final Fantasy VII Remake because that came out on Steam very very recently. Uh, actually, the day after um, the the Square uh, uh, the Final Fantasy VII right. um, anniversary stream. God of War is like number five because that uh, recently launched on uh, Steam. Elden Ring is still in the top ten, of course. Cyberpunk is is still holding on there. Um, sea of Thieves is up there, and the Steam Deck is like number fifteen or sixteen, uh, right in front of uh, Turtles Shredder's Revenge. So I thought that was just kind of interesting to see so many Steam Decks are selling that it's in there, <laughs> top selling uh, uh, among all these you know kind of like ninety percent off games that are that are mixed in there. So yeah, so, still hoping for the Steam Deck uh, within a few weeks. I, let me ask you again because I've forgotten, and I want to try to get an idea, like comparison wise. So, mm-hmm. how much did the Steam Decks go for? So they start at three ninety nine, and that is the the version that is that is in that like sixteenth spot there. Um, the uh, the next one up to two fifty six is like the next one 
you know, a, a handful of spots later than the 512 uh, even later. So yeah, 400, 500, and 749. So really the low end is almost a Switch competitor then. Uh, Price-wise, for sure. Uh, Performance-wise, it destroys it. But yeah, sure, price-wise, but... it's right in there. Yeah. So um, does it take, can you put additional storage on one? Absolutely, yep. It's got a micro SD slot. Um, they do not recommend replacing the onboard drive. They say not only for size reasons, but they chose this one specifically for the power consumption, for the heat it puts off. But at the same time, on iFixit, with support from Valve, they sell replacement uh, drives. So you can put a bigger NVMe if you want to. Uh, what 99% of Steam Deck owners are doing is they're just buying uh, micro SD cards. So they'll have one micro SD card that has like a Steam library on it, maybe one micro SD that has their emulators, or if they don't have, you know, if, if they don't have as many emulators, because it depends. Like if you just have all cart based games, you can fit everything from like 1970 to 1995, you know, on like 10 gigs. It's not really that much. And when you start getting into disk images, that's when you start needing more, uh, more space. So some people can get away with just a single terabyte micro SD. You keep the stuff that you play most often on the internal storage because obviously NVMe is faster. Everything else goes on the one terabyte. And all of the speed tests that we've seen, it's not nearly as big a difference as you would think um, because there's always like the theoretical maxes for reads and writes and then there's real world. So when you see it launching on the internal storage on one versus the micro on the other, it's like, yeah, the internal is faster. But I mean, if you have an extra 10, 15 seconds for the initial load, it's it's a you know, you'll be there eventually. Yeah, I was just trying to get an idea of how it compares to like a switch and whatnot. So. Yep. Yeah, cool. there's actually there's a really good article linked on the Steam Deck subreddit recently. And I forget where the article came from, but it's uh, it's it says the Steam Deck makes a great argument against walled gardens. And it was basically just talking about, you know, when you buy a Switch, you're locked into Nintendo's ecosystem. When you buy a Xbox, you're locked into Microsoft's ecosystem. When you buy a PlayStation, you're in theirs. So they're giving you this thing and they're like, we have an operating system. We have a digital storefront, but also do whatever you want. You know, like put Windows on it if you want, put, you know, like download your Linux games Someone wants to make an emulator uh, front end for it. Yes, we support that too. You know, so I don't have it in my hands yet, so I can't really comment on you know how all that stuff's going to work. But it appears that it's just working for people, and they're just watching you know tutorials online. Like, how do we get emulators on there? Oh, you just click this button, and it sets it up for you. So, but yeah, I'm super excited to go get going with that. And uh, another thing related to Steam Deck, I watched this tutorial on how to get your emulators on there just to kind of get prepared. And then the second part of the tutorial was, oh, and here's how you would put non-Steam games on there, which I didn't think I'd be doing because it's Linux. I don't really have a whole lot of Linux things. I have Windows things. But then I remembered, oh, wait a minute. Doesn't GOG give you Linux versions of games that you've paid for? So I went to good old games. Well, it used to be good old games. Now it's just GOG run by CD Projekt Red. And I started looking through my collection there. And sure enough, Full Throttle Remastered. Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, Master of Orion 1 and 2, Pharaoh and Cleopatra, Sid Meier's Alpha Centauri, Terminal Velocity. I have Linux versions of all these games, so I can just drop that folder on there, add an on-Steam game, point to the Linux EXE, and it's going to work on the Steam Deck. And none of these things are, you know, power-hungry. So uh, I'm, it, it's, I'm starting to get excited about kind of like other things that I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't even think that I can do that. What about wine? 
Um, do you think there's some older games that would run under Wine okay on that? Uh, it's possible. I'm happy to test it out once uh, once I get my hands on one. Huh, be curious to see. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's going to be a fun time for sure. And uh, just thinking about in early August, like you know, late July, like the 30th, 31st, early August, we go down to the Jersey Shore for a couple weeks for our beach vacation. So just thinking that like. I'll have it, you know, kind of like on this two-week vacation to kind of play around with, and then we're going to be going to the uh, Retro World Expo in August. So, just kind of thinking about like where I'm going to be able to, you know, take this fun, fun little device uh, is is kind of getting me excited about it as well. So, uh, so yeah, Steam Deck very excited about, um, and uh, so. Uh, we'll get into Destiny in a few minutes. I haven't really been playing it, but uh, I did want to mention that I actually bought some retro video games. Uh, we went to the flea market for the first time in a while um, on Father's Day. Had a great Father's Day, by the way. Hope you guys did as well. Uh, I'm actually enjoying a beverage right now that uh, came from uh, the Father's Day festivities. A friend of mine went up uh, to pass one of my favorite breweries, and I was like, you know, you could stop by if you wanted to. So... They did me a Father's Day favor and brought some beer back, which was awesome. Uh, but for Father's Day, my wife asked me, okay, like, what do you want to do this weekend? So on Saturday, I said, you know, I'd really love to go to the guitar store and just play a bunch of these amps that I've kind of had on my hit list for a while or wish list. And I don't want to spend money on them without playing them kind of stuff. And I really don't want to go down there just kind of like on a lunch break because like I feel rushed and like I don't want to just get in for 10 minutes and play and get out. And uh, I also don't want to leave my wife alone for hours going and playing guitar on the weekend so her mom was in town because my wife had uh, uh, carpal tunnel surgery and so her her, uh, mom was in town to help out so I was like hey if you guys are cool can I head on down to the guitar store so I I did that for a couple hours on Saturday afternoon that was awesome I was able to find out that a couple of the amps that I was leaning towards are not amps that I would actually spend money on, so that's awesome. And I found a couple amps that I was kind of like, oh, like maybe if they sound good, we'll see. Became like, oh man, these sound really, really, really good. So I'm very glad I did it because hearing that in person was great. But then the second part of Father's Day, I was like, you know, it'd be really nice to go to the flea market. Um, so we went to the flea market, and uh, the kids love the flea market because there's just action figures and just interesting things everywhere. The, really the difficult part is like not allowing them to buy everything that they want or like the first thing that they see like dude I agree that's really cool the price is not bad but remember we have like 30 other you know like aisles to go through like minimum and and you know so you kind of fight that battle a little bit but they got some really cool stuff they got some Star Wars you know kind of like uh, just plastic uh, ships like the Jedi Starfighter and uh, they got some uh, knockoff lego guys that they i don't care if they're real or not they just they're just cool looking so like you know good for them and uh but the the very last and that's always how it is right the very last aisle i haven't bought anything i'm kind of looking and uh i I walk by and i see it's a really really big spread like one of those big like moving vans and you can tell that these are people who just clear out homes and then just dump it you know and, and they all have like new york plates right so we're like all right like they don't care like they're just trying to move inventory right so i get over there and i see it's all sports games which is not a problem for me because i like uh hockey games so i see the regular stuff nhl 93 94 mlb you know like baseball football stuff but then i see something that you don't see very often which is nhl 98 for the genesis 
So this was the last uh, EA uh, NHL game released for the Genesis. It was also released on the PlayStation 1, to give you an idea of how late yeah, in the life cycle so it was. Because <laughs> when did those come out over here, like, 89? Yeah. So, so yeah, so... So NHL 98 was one of the first games we got for our PlayStation 1 when we got it for Christmas. It was NHL 98, Masters of Terrace Kasi, and Final Fantasy 7. So we got... Best uh, Christmas of all time. Oh, man. I, I still, to this day, it's like my favorite Christmas of all time. And then the other one was when my parents surprised us um, with a... With because our Genesis was just busted. And they just bought us another Genesis, which is so not like my parents. It was one of those blister pack ones from Costco that had, like, Genesis <laughs> and that, like, third-party controller that I've talked about that I love. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I ended up grabbing. They they weren't priced, so now you gotta you know I I'm not really a big fan of the dance where you know you kind of gotta act uninterested like uh, what, what are you thinking on these uh, these dumb sports games over here you know that kind of stuff, and he just kind of looks over and he's like ah like the sports games are two for five, or, or sorry three dollars each two for five, and I'm like this guy is awesome he's pricing games in the way that you would price stuff that you just want to move. Um, so it was awesome. So, I mean, I was just going to get 98 because that was, you know, the, the real find there. But since they were two for five, I also grabbed NHL 97. I popped the boxes open. They had all the paper. One of them had a KB receipt. I love receipts. Um, just so, so cool. I think everybody does, but I just like to mention that I love receipts as well. Um, so, yeah, that was awesome uh, to grab that. Uh, that pair. Um, I, I just looked it up. That's worth a few bucks too. Jeez. Yeah, it's a good thirty-five, forty somewhere in there for a complete uh, NHL ninety-eight. I think yeah. ninety-seven is maybe ten to fifteen-ish, but still, yeah, it's a, a nice little grab. Um, and I did own a copy of both, but I do not believe I had the paper, uh, all the, all the paper that was included in those. So, uh, yeah, that was very very cool uh, to add some extra hockey stuff. Um, so that was all I picked up. Uh, no Destiny, really, in the past, since the last episode, mainly because my mother-in-law has been here, and the guest room is also where my computer is. Uh, uh, is So um, I know I could have played it, you know, on, on the Xbox or the PlayStation because it's cross, you know, save and everything, but I was like, ah, in-laws are here. Let's not, you know, just be playing games in the evening. Let's hang out and, you know, be personable a little bit. So No Destiny, besides I did play the seasonal story mission, just to you know, make sure I didn't kind of fall behind on that. And it doesn't take long. It's like 30, 40 minutes. Um, and just so I didn't feel like I'm falling behind, I played just a small amount of Guardians of the Galaxy just to make sure I'm still moving forward on that. I finished that Lady Hellbender chapter, like whatever chapter number that was. I think it's four, maybe. Four, yeah. And um, so finished that. That was cool. And the boss, I mean, while it wasn't like a terribly, it's not an Elden Ring boss fight, but it was kind of a cool, you know, multi-armed, you know, boss that you had like a little bit of a mechanic that you had to try and figure out. Um, still, like it's it's very, very, very basic stuff, but uh, I'm still enjoying it. And uh, so I started the next chapter, um, but I just kind of saved it right there. And then earlier today, we just kind of had a little bit of time before we were going out of the house to do something. So I fired up... Um, my my middle guy was playing Astro's Playroom just randomly like I want to play Astro so he threw Astro on and he like pointed something out and I was like I've never seen that before which is like the <laughs> best thing about that game it just keeps giving like I looked he was like dad look at that giant over there and I looked and for a second I was like is that the Iron Giant and I was like no it's a Colossus because he's got like a big sword <laughs> so I was like that's so cool and uh so that was also he so he stopped playing that and then he's kind of handing me the dual shock and i had started um 
Uncharted Four, um, because it's part of the PlayStation collection. I forget. I, I like I finished Last Guardian, and I think I was gonna start Bloodborne or something. And I was like, no, like let me let me let me do something else because I'm I'm thinking about Elden. So um so yeah, I, I've I'm play, played a little bit more like a half a chapter's worth of Uncharted Four, which is cool. But you know, no surprises there. It's just a solid Uncharted game. Um, and other than that, I've just been gathering a bunch of items to sell because uh, RF Generation is going to have a booth at Retro World Expo. And at first, I kind of thought I would have, you know, I see things here and there, and I'm like, oh, I'd get rid of that, I'd get rid of that. But I've never, like, gathered all those things together in, like, one place before. And then I started to realize, man, I've got more stuff than I thought I did. And then I kind of, you know, start pulling more stuff, and I'm like, yeah, I don't really need that, I don't really need that. And then I went to my parents' house, and we kind of uh, cleaned up a little bit. And I didn't realize I had this many systems. Like, I thought I kind of purged all the systems a while back, but I found, like, three OG Xboxes. I found two 360s. I found three fat PS2s. I was like, what am I doing with all these? So I'm kind of in the process of testing systems just to make sure everything is good. Uh, I might try to sell some of those uh, just, you know, Facebook Marketplace and stuff before the show just so it's less, like, big, bulky stuff to bring. Um, and yeah, uh, three original Xboxes in there, yeah. Yeah, That's I mean, I only have I only have one vehicle. <laughs> like, I can't bring any more than that. Uh, so yeah, and then um, I told you guys this on the on the Discord, but I have no interest in starting a three D printing business or any business. Uh, to, uh, you know, it, it. I want my hobbies to just be fun for me and not be on a schedule or be on you know like someone else's you know order queue or something like that. I enjoy the hobby of 3D printing for me. At the same time, I would love to not like pay out of pocket for my new 3D printer. So I had this idea, ran it by some guys in the Discord, and they're like, oh, it might be pretty cool of kind of making this one model and bringing it to the show and seeing how it does or maybe selling it locally. So I bought uh, a small amount of silver filament. I'm going to be making uh, Terminator T800 busts uh, and kind of selling like little paint kits where like you can like make the eyes red or you know whatever color you want. So hopefully those will do well. Um, if not, uh, I'll, I'll see if I can kind of move them locally. But I, I think it's got potential to kind of just catch someone's eye at the show and be like, oh, that's be a fun little thing, you know, paint your own Terminator with your kid. So uh, hopefully that uh, ends up being a fun thing that works. Um, and speaking of selling things, um, I, I sold those, uh, the Mortal Kombat one and two arcade machines that I think I've talked about before. I had so, a handful. Did a they hand go to Edmonton? They are right? on their way. Yeah. Okay. They're I'll keep my eye on next time I'm there. Yeah. Fresh new Mortal I'll, I'll shoot you the address. Uh, so yeah, the, the, the shipping company picked them up and, um, I haven't told the guy this and I don't think he listens to the show. Um, so uh, one of the things he was really kind of thought was really cool was the uh, signatures I had on the marquee of MK1. I have Piscina and uh, Rich Divizio, right. um, but I did not have any signatures on the MK2 marquee. So I kept the MK2 marquee, and it's going to show up to him kind of like late July. And then he's going to be like, dude, there's no MK2 marquee. And I'm going to be like, I'm so sorry. I must have not put it back in when I was like reassembling everything. Like, I'll get it to you. Don't worry. So I'm going to bring it to Retro World, and I'm going to have Carlos Piscina uh-huh. and uh, 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 Daniel Piscina uh, sign it, and then I'm going to send it up to him. So hopefully he doesn't uh, uh, get upset that the marquee is late, but it'll be a little bit upgraded. So, uh-huh. so that'll be cool. And um, so, yeah, so I had um, 
I had an arcade board laying around for a long time that I thought, you know, I might throw into a cabinet at some point, but just the way life and space is going, like it's just not going to happen. So the good news is I bought this board very cheap, like 40 or $50 years ago, and it's just been sitting in a closet. And I kind of jumped online and I saw someone selling, um, like parting out this cabinet this year. And the pricing seemed kind of high and I pinged the guy and I was like, Hey, I'm just curious, like, what'd you end up selling the board and these accessories for? And he said, 150 for the board untested. And he said, I had multiple offers for it. And he said, and then the, the light guns were like 75. So I put up my police trainer one board working, tested working for sale um, I've got it up uh, at 200 or best offer, so hopefully that comes back um, with an offer on it. And I posted, I have one working K7000 Wells Gardner monitor, posted that today. I've got a guy coming to pick it up tomorrow. So uh, <laughs> that you, so we were talking about CRTs just briefly before we started. And, you know, I have a 13-inch PVM that Chris uh, very, very graciously uh, gifted me the first time we met at Too Many Games uh, many years ago, almost 98 episodes ago. Um, and uh, uh, it's now the heart of my JAMA test station. So I can throw an arcade board on it. I have a little, like, power supply isolation transformer so I can test monitors. Um, I'm planning on building a little... Um, uh, fight stick when the projects kind of like settle down just a little bit. I have like most of the parts already. Um, and I've got SCART cables for the Genesis and the uh, 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 N64. Um, so I do a little bit of, uh, or no, not Genesis, N64 and Super Nintendo. That's what it is. It's that little, uh, the the little SCART to, to, uh, to BNC, BNC, yeah. BNC uh, setup. Uh, which is awesome. Um, it's it's on the small side. It's 13 inch, not like the the 20 inch, but like still, it's gorgeous. Um, but yeah, the uh, so those are awesome. Those have shot up in price. The arcade monitors, the tubes. Like I said, like people prefer them with no burning if possible, but you got to take the tube that you can find that works. So these days, yep. Yep. So I listed it, and immediately it's like, hey, what would you take if I came tonight? And I was like, I would take the price that I put it up for because I've already got other interest on it. Like, I I'm, I'm, I try to price reasonably, like, not through the roof, but, like, you know, kind of, like, right in there. So it's like, I will be there tomorrow. So do you – I got a question because this just popped into mind. Does your 3D print set up big enough to do something that would be, like, uh, arcade stick? Like, you know, like the enclosure for an arcade stick. Is that size or is it is that too big? So I have an Ender 3 which has about like a two, uh, 220 by 220 uh, uh, millimeter. Uh, to me. So, so basically like uh, anything that I print that's like bigger than like kind of like eight inches in, you know, like either direction, um, I would have to print in pieces um, oh, okay. and, then, and then glue together. Um, so that's one of the reasons why I want to upgrade to the CR-10. Um, cause I can get about like 10, 11 inches, uh, on either side and then like 15 or 17 high. Um, and then I'd oh, be able to do like, yeah, it's, it's, it's got some height to it. So this would be, uh, like you could print like, you know, a helmet in one go because you have like, uh, the width, um, you could print, um, uh, replica, like I printed a handful of destiny weapons, but since I can't print them all at once, I have to like take the components, kind of slice them in half, do half of it, do the other half, glue them together. And then like 
do the uh, like uh, what do you call it the um, other hand grip and then kind of put that so it's it's all kind of being done together uh, which is not a big deal I don't print like a ton but it would save so much time uh, to just print it as one piece and then kind of finish it and paint it and be done so um, so yeah as far as um, I've never considered doing anything fight stick wise because I've got the woodworking tools I would just you know I would just do it with uh, with uh, plywood and then just finish it, maybe add some art to it. Um, but uh, is there a is there a market for people doing three D printed? Uh, I don't stuff? No, I mean, like I think I've said before, I'm I keep going like when I go to flea markets and stuff. What I'm watching for is I want to find uh, like an what I I want to build a Neo Geo stick mm-hmm. is what I want to do. And um, so what I've been looking for is like let me find an old like. Wii or GameCube, or I, th- I think like, oh, you know, let me find the housing for one of those old ones that nobody wants anymore, or something I get cheap enough, then I can just yank the parts out and build my own stick inside of it. But I have no idea how hard or expensive or anything else it would be to 3D print an enclosure. I don't know. These are just yeah. something that popped yeah, I mean, in my head. Yeah, I mean, just for, like, forgetting the amount of time, um, like, for the amount, and, like, not even the amount of money it would take to make something that size, I just think using wood would be way easier as far as getting the exact size you want it's going to be structurally sound you're going to be able to take a template drill your buttonholes uh do your art do your plexi well yeah um, that's something you, know. you could do I'm, I'm talking about something i could do <laughs> yeah i mean you also do know me <laughs> oh well i guess that's true and and you could place a no rush order for <laughs> you know the cost of materials only like that's not that's not an issue at all. That would actually be a really fun uh, thing to do, just kind of step by step. So, uh, but yeah, I would I would not recommend if you were if you said to me, uh, you know, there's this Star Trek pin, you know, like lapel thing that I think would be really awesome. I'd say that's perfect. I, we could do it exactly. We could add some spot primer, sand it, paint it, like do the whole thing, add it like perfect. But I, but for like a structural thing, like a fight stick, like I would, it's not the right application. Okay. You definitely want to use timber, as they say in the Great White North. Well, maybe you get bored and you want to <laughs> construct a, an enclosure. Let me know. Um, yeah. This bring this is a total tangent, and I'm not going to spend any time on it because I'm not going to get political here. But I was watching the January 6th stuff, right? And I'm just bringing this up because you talk about the Star Trek. Thing. There's like this whole big hearing, right? It's like in front of congressmen and all this other stuff. And for like this huge, I don't know, like an hour, hour and a half, there's this guy, like the main person they're interviewing is like in front of the mic, right? Or whatever. And the guy that's just like to his right, like one row behind him, has like this giant like Star Trek insignia on his lapel. And I'm like, dude, he's got like the Star Trek, you know, like where they would use like the communicator, like the star, you know, the Starfleet emblem. Yep. He's just rocking a giant one right on his lapel. And I'm like, you're awesome, dude. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, when they, when when they make like the the documentary or, or sorry, like the the biopic about it years in the future, they better have that guy with the, uh, <laughs> like, the Star Trek. A visitor from the future was uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's Q. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So so yeah, so not to go too much longer. I know I've been chatting for a little bit, but um, just to get caught up on the TV stuff, uh, I am fully caught up on Stranger Things, so I'm ready for the uh, uh, the part two that's coming up in just uh, a week or so here. Um, I finished Obi-Wan Kenobi, um, so I will also uh, wait until everyone is ready to have a little chat about that. Um, Did you like it? uh, Yeah, so you were saying I could say if I like it or not. I will say that there are some really, really, really cool moments in it. 
that I was kind of hoping for more of those throughout the show. But it's almost like, I don't know if they saved him for the last episode, but there are definitely some cool moments that are kind of like, like not, not, I mean, everyone's different. People like different stuff, but like for me, like I saw people throughout the show talking on Twitter and like, Oh, like that, like that was amazing. And for me, it didn't get there to that last episode where I had a couple goosebump moments. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, overall great. Um, I think the, uh, the, uh, that last episode was very good. And yeah, I mean, they're, they, I always kind of get, I'm weird about like, I kind of like it when it's going to be a limited series and it's a one-time thing and you got to get in. It's like, they got something to say and this is going to be it. And then with like one or two episodes left, they're like, Oh, they're talking about a season two. I'm like, guys, like you, you did. That's not what you said. That's not what you said. Like, I thought you had a whole thing and like, Oh, we have more, you know? So maybe I'm just weird where I feel I should be happy that I'm getting more of a thing that I'm going to consume. But like, I don't know, just because of, I thought it was going to be a, There's a like- package. 10 minutes of Obi-Wan's life we haven't covered yet. You don't understand. There's like that one time he went to the bathroom on the Millennium Falcon. We're going to make an episode all about that. (laughs) I've been thinking about that a lot. Like when you said the last time you're like thinking about Obi-Wan going to the bathroom. Yeah, exactly. About do you think he goes? (laughs) 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 I think it goes right out the, uh, right out the, uh, what they say, uh, uh, like, oh, like, just dump, dump the garbage and then float away. (laughs) Do Do you think he even has to aim or is he just, does he just force it? to go yeah. in the yeah. bowl. I, I think he uses the force <laughs> and says pew pew. <laughs> so, but no, I've been thinking about a lot when you were like, you know, I feel like, you know, they've examined this 50 year period enough. And I've been thinking about that a lot. Like, oh man. Yeah. Like there's, and, and I'm to the point where like, whenever something comes out, you could tell that the people who consume every bit of it, like, you know, like the Clone Wars stuff and like the extended universe stuff, whether it's canon or not, like it's almost like they're making it for those people because as soon as they like say or do or show something, a certain group of people are like, oh, and everybody else is like, I don't know what that is or (laughs) why I'm supposed to care. So it's like I'm the most excited about the Taika uh, Waititi trilogy, not because I love him, even though he makes good stuff, but just because it's who, a what? completely separate thing. What did you just uh, say? Taika Waititi, the director. What the heck is that? So Taika Waititi is a film director. Oh. Uh, probably, probably most well known for uh, doing Thor Ragnarok and um, oh. uh, what we do in the shadows, uh, both the TV show and the uh, uh and the uh, uh, the film TV show is way better, by the way. It sounded like a Star Trek. Oh, na- I mean, a Star I, Wars name. I disagree with that hot take there. Yeah, you're allowed to. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> I, I like them both, but man, I the movie. I uh, never. Sorry, not never. Three times in my life have I watched a movie immediately after watching a movie, and I watched <laughs> what we do in the shadows again right after because I'm like, was it really that funny? Yeah. So good. Yeah, I, I love that show. So, uh, but yeah, so he's been given a Star Wars trilogy and uh, it is completely new, different characters, nothing relate, like, like C-3PO is not going to show up for some <laughs> weird random reason. Um, so that's what I'm most excited about. Are you and sure? Only, uh, I mean, who knows? <laughs> that's the promise right now. Yeah. We can only hope that Korg will be a part of it. Uh, playing Chewbacca's uh, brother-in-law will be there. Yeah. But... <laughs> hey, that's a new character. We don't know that guy. Exactly. Yeah, we've only we've only it's heard. Like, hey, aren't you a Wookie? Yeah. 
So, uh, yep. So Obi Wan is all set. Um, uh, I'm, we finished uh, this season of Barry, uh, which we really, really, really like. Um, love that show. Um, it started off a little slow this season, but ended very, very strong. Um, and we did watch the RF Generation movie of the month, which was Miami Vice. Um, I don't know if we have time either this show at the very end to do a quick chat about that, or if you want to do it next time. But uh, we'll kind of see how the time flows, and we'll we'll chat about that. I also watched the extra credit movie, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if you guys have any interest in chatting about that. I haven't that, watched that, that one yet. Through the end of June, so maybe we'll give everyone a little bit more time to watch that. We can chat about that. Uh, I did watch everything, everywhere, all at once. What is that on right now? I it really is on Disney Plus. Oh, okay. I didn't in, in, in this country, I don't know. Uh, are they pretty similar usually? So far, I think Disney's been pretty much the same. Yeah. Okay. That's the one easy one. But yep. I have been like really eager to see that, and I didn't realize it came out now. So I'll probably check that out in the next couple of days. Let me just make quick sure that I wasn't lying about that just now. I'm fairly certain that's where I watched it. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll check, and then if, if we got a printer retraction, we'll do a follow-up episode. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that's where I watched it. Um, I also, on the advice of everyone I've ever met who's watched it, watched Ghostbusters Afterlife. And that is just What's a, that great, on? a great, great watch. Um, that one was... HBO or Amazon? I don't think it was on HBO because I flipped through there recently and I didn't see it. So everything, everywhere, all at once is not on Disney in Canada anyway. Okay. Yeah, I could have sworn that's where it was, but I will double check. Ghostbusters Afterlife Netflix? I'll say we dumped Amazon recently, so hopefully it's Mm. not on that. Yeah, I, I will. I will find out, and I'll throw it in the um, uh, in the Discord. But yeah, yeah, so, I haven't seen uh, that one yet either. Um, but yeah, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, I remember Adam saying it was great. I remember uh, uh, Kelsey saying it was great. Um, big, lot, big, yeah. big, big fan. Um, and uh, yeah, so won't chat about that too, too much since not everyone has seen it. Better yeah, than Ghostbusters Two. So I'm a big, 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 big fan of Two. And I don't know if it's because, you know, like, you know, how I like sometimes, to like, yeah. But, and it's like, it's got, you know, the reputation depending on like where you were in your life when you saw it. Right. So like, you know, how, like, I think we might've talked about this before. You're a big Superman guy. Yeah. I saw the, I didn't see the early Superman movies first. I saw four. First. The, yeah. Yeah. I can understand and the problem. It's just one of these things where, like, I'm a kid, you know, I'm five or six or whatever, and I'm like, this is awesome, you know, like, nuclear man, and like, he's got Gene Hackman's voice, and, like, I didn't realize it was bad. I'm just a kid watching a movie, and yeah. even though I know it's bad now, I still like it because I watched it when I was a kid, so sometimes I don't know, is Ghostbusters 2 really bad? And, like, I just think it's good because I saw it when I was a kid and I liked it a lot, but I really, really like too. I always have. Yeah. I mean, I would. So, it's not as good as the first one, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's different. For, it's for sure different. Yeah, and um, uh, I did not see. What's the other one? The um, I did not see the Ghostbusters. Uh, oh, the reboot one. Yeah, I don't think I saw all of it. I think it was. I didn't, on, I didn't watch that one. My wife had it on a little bit, and I was like, "Okay, yeah, I think I'm all set." I don't even know if that. I mean. It, I probably would have watched it if it was streaming somewhere that I would have seen, but I don't even remember that happening. So yeah, 
I saw it and, in the theater. And then the last thing I'll mention before uh, handing it on to the most interesting uh, of the three of us is uh, I've been doing this thing lately where since I spend too much time just browsing through things to watch and not enough time watching things, as soon as my brain latches onto a thing for whatever reason it is, I hit play. And I found that, you know, this, this kind of takes some of that, like, you know, stress of choosing away. Um, and it doesn't, it could be like something I've seen before, but not in a long time. It's like, bam, I'm just going to be watching the Godfather for a half hour or, or, and then the other day, it happened where I ended up watching something for like 20 minutes and my wife walked in and watched it with me for like five minutes and she was like, this is so bad. And I was like, yeah, but I can't turn it off. It was a Steven Seagal, Stone Cold <laughs> Steve Austin action film <laughs> called Maximum Conviction. So like my eyeballs saw Steven Seagal with like CG hair <laughs> and like... Like they tried to put as much black around his like, body as possible to slim him down, but you can tell he like can't like jog anymore. Is this like uh, pre-Putin? <laughs> this is fair, fairly. I think it's ten years ago because I looked it up on to see what the uh, like the kind of the IMDb stats were. I think it's from 2012. Okay. Um, but man, it is. I mean, I mean, it's a comedy, right? Like it's not trying to be, but like it's it's <laughs> it is. Man, the writing, the acting, like it's, it, it is what it is. It's a bunch of people. Who How many noses together and, does uh, Steven Seagal bust in this movie? So basically <laughs> he is hired to, basically there's like a prison that's shutting down. But since they don't know how to do that, they hire a consultant. So Steven Seagal is the consultant who like has all of his ex-army buds, like Stone Cold Steve Austin. And they come in and they kind of like. They they're charged with like taking down the prison, you know, taking the prisoners, transferring them out, like making sure the whole building shut down. So and of course, like there's this big like argument between like the warden and uh, and Seagal where he's like, oh, you hotshot army guys. You think, you know, everything like everyone hates each other. It's great. So like poor and, man's uh, con air or something or a lot like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a lot like that actually. So um it uh so it starts off like that and then they bring in these two female prisoners. And then like the whole thing is like no, like we're shut down, like we're clo- like you know, no more. And then uh like Seagal takes him in for whatever reason and then the warden is like uh like you just took on two prisoners, like you're responsible for keeping this prison open like until they can get out of here. So now it's like <laughs> So this is like the first like 15, 20 minutes of the movie. Um, and there's like other stuff going on. Like, you know, like in Die- at the beginning of Die Hard, when they're like trying to like, you know, pose as like, you know, like repairman for, you know, like in that van for like, we're here to repair the AC type thing. It's the same type deal. Like they're going into to Stone Cold in like the, the garage and like they like bust open like a pipe or something like that, and there's like an oil smell, and Stone Cold's like, "What the hell, are y'all doing? Y'all know what you're doing over here?" And they're like, "Oh, I don't know, man." So like, you could tell that like they're just trying to get in, you know, like to take over or do something. So we only got like 20, 25 minutes into it, but uh, I gotta tell you, even if I never watch any more of it, I'm glad I watched this 20, 25 minutes. Can I sell you like, on Time Bandits, Bill? Because <laughs> if you watched like, that. At this point, there, I'll I'll really watch anything. I, I can tell. Yeah, 
and it's just to avoid. Like I can't tell what? you how many times. Wait, why does Bill get to pick through. the movies again? It was long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean for everyone else? <laughs> yes. Well, I didn't say you guys had to watch this. I put more time and effort into picking those. Hopefully, this was just me. Like it was basically like, okay, my wife's putting our youngest down. I have like 20 Look, man, minutes, right? I, I watch Super Train. You don't have to explain anything to me. Oh, yeah, but that sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, I just, you know, I think it's good every once in a while to just eh, throw it on, see what happens. Because, you know, sometimes you're surprised and you're like, you know what? Even if the rest of the world thinks this is dumb, I'm a fan. And then sometimes you realize, no, the rest of the world has a point <laughs> with, <laughs> with maximum conviction. That's so. such a great name for a Steven yeah. Seagal movie. <laughs> How much conviction? All of it. <laughs> as much as humanly possible. Yep. Get me get me in a leave. What kind? Maximum strength a leave. <laughs> All right, so that'll do it for me. So uh what's going on up there, Cal? All right. Not a ton of gaming, lots of TV stuff, which I'm hoping to switch around uh going forward now that we're doing some triangle strategy though. Uh, mm. but I like I think I'm done with Hades. I have literally bought every cosmetic thing you can earn in that game and i've got over 100 successful runs everything like every level of every weapon is unlocked i maxed out three of the weapons uh like heats up to 20 and the other three i have pretty close but i got to mess around with a whole bunch of uh boon combinations i i never bothered with and i found some ones that i really liked that were really fun I used to hate like the spear and I found some combos I liked with the spear. So like I mm. played a lot of rounds with that and the fists I got really good at. So uh, it was really fun, but I'm, I'm thankful. I'm very thankful that this is a weird thing. Cause I know I'm always like physical, physical, physical. There's a new reason I love physical games and that is I can take it out of the system and go hide it when it's consuming my life too much. <laughs> Whereas if it was digital, I just it'd always be there and easy to get. Right, or just hand it to someone and say, "Don't tell me where you're putting this." Yeah, so I took it out of the system, went and like hit it in the back row of the shelf. <laughs> gonna, gonna put Hades down. I love that game though; really good. A um, little bit more Piku Niku. Literally just the racing levels. All <laughs> she wants to do is just the two racing levels in the co-op. Um, that hasn't been too bad, and thankfully my son plays with her too, so I get a little break from it once in a while. Um, someone locally was selling a cheap copy of Maneater for the PS5, mm-hmm. and I remember hearing when that came out, it looked kind of goofy, and my daughter is obsessed with sharks in particular, but just like sea life in general. About 80% of the books she brought home over this last school year were just like textbooks about sea creatures. So I wanted to pick it up. It's rated M. She's only six. So I was like, I, I'm going to play this a bunch first and make sure I'm comfortable letting her play instead of just telling her, like, look at this cool thing I found. Yeah. So I played a bunch of Maneater. I actually almost platinumed it, but there's like a glitch where I couldn't get one of the trophies, which is really annoying. I looked it up, and apparently they've mm-hmm. known about it for a year and still haven't updated that to fix it. So probably won't happen. It's funny uh, you mention that. I just picked up Maneater recently okay. because it was one of the free games on Epic. That's right. That's probably why this person was selling it, maybe. I got it free through PS Plus, so there you Mm -hmm. go. If you wait around long enough, you're going to get Maneater somehow. (laughs) It's not a long game. It's like 10 hours to like platinum it, Uh, but it is a silly game. It's fun. It doesn't Mm -hmm. take itself seriously at all. You play Mm -hmm. the shark, uh, and you're like, 
a mutant shark so you mutate to learn powers you can have like an electric shark like one covered in bones or like a poison shark and you can also develop the ability to breathe on land for short times so you can like literally saunter up on the land like slopping around like eating humans oh how many sharknadoes are in this game no sharknadoes unfortunately that's a loot box Uh, yeah but they do it so like there's a narrator the whole time since obviously sharks don't typically talk and and he's he's (laughs) pretty funny typically i mean there's those few there's a few there's a few um we've all seen nemo we know there's a talking (laughs) shark uh, but yeah, so the narrator is just, he's really goofy, really funny. Um, like, like Bill, there was one where he, he comes, sometimes he just like says facts about what's going on. So like, there's this fish I see, and he's talking about how the auditory uh, skills of this fish are just amazing, like unparalleled. No, no other creature underwater can like hear as good as this fish. He's like, but still in laboratory tests, nine out of 10 of them prefer CD to vinyl. We don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I gotta say this is a bit of a tangent but like just mentioning like the like kind of the humor in the games it is somehow never not funny when Drax like makes a joke <laughs> just taking things literally yes like you would think you would just roll your eyes at some point oh this is a nightmare Peter Quill we are wide awake it's like yeah. somehow every <laughs> single so time good. it's good <laughs> I agree totally um, yeah so Maneater I decided I was fine with my daughter trying it because she doesn't care about the story stuff. So I cleared out a bunch of areas and then she can just kind of open world, whatever she wants. Mm. And so she actually, uh, it was cool cause she could customize the shark with the different colors, uh, with the, you know, a poison shark or bone shark or whatever. So she's like, cool. I can be a purple shark. And she's like, ro- she just role plays. It's really funny. She's like, I'm going to circle around this boat and she just swims around it. And That's then awesome. uh, she's like, there's a school of fish. I'm hungry. She swims down, eats fish. Uh, if the hunters come looking for her, she like role plays that too. She's like, Oh, I gotta run away. And she dives down as deep as she can to get away from the hunters. And, That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it was really fun to play with her. Um, so we've done that a few times. Um, I went over to my buddy's house that I've been playing Dragon Quest Heroes with, and we finally finished that off. Uh, it was really good. It's like one of those Muso like Dynasty Warrior style, uh, like mm. clones, but with the Dragon Warrior paint on it and yeah really enjoyed it they they have shout outs of characters from between like four and nine um and terry who is one of the like the coolest parts of five was uh in it and he was awesome so we we used a lot of terry and yangus uh, from eight um the ending kind of you know bleh, but the rest of the game up to that was really good uh, i kind of want to pick up the persona strikers now because i've been having such a good time with that and it's a similar style to it uh but that same day uh we had two other friends over we've been playing through all those dark anthologies games uh over the last couple years and so we picked up the quarry which just came out soon by uh the same team and matt it is so fun to play those games with with this group of guys like they're horror games but they're Mm -hmm. they're very uh, story driven and you can assign characters in the game to a player so we spent a bunch of time before we even started and there's eight characters and there were four of us it was great we could assign two to each player and then we just we laugh so much even though it's a horror <laughs> game because we're trying to like screw over another character or we're making fun of him for missing that quick time event 
or you know two of us are trying to have a weird sexual thing together because the characters in the game like have some chemistry <laughs> such a blast uh playing it we're about halfway through it so we're gonna try and get together this next week and, and finish that off uh and while that was installing we played a little bit of the new tmnt shredder's revenge game and so we got two levels into that and whoa it's so good i i gotta buy it i gotta i gotta play more of that because it was one of the best beat-em-ups i played in a very 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 long time i kept hearing great things about it and i thought it was like the typical hyperbole like you know people just be like, oh like 10 out of 10 is the best one ever and i'm like okay like let's everyone calm down for a minute but i keep hearing like really great things about it like it's it's one of those ones where like chris was talking about star trek earlier like they it's their its own thing like there's no other turtles game that controls like this it it's very deep if you want it to be it's also just as shallow as you want it to be it can just be a two button beat em up if you want and you'll do just fine but there's also combos and meters and things if you want that uh, and like a leveling system but they also have those little shout outs like if you played turtles uh in time you're gonna recognize this level and mm. if you played tmnt the arcade game you're gonna mm. recognize this and all the characters have like moves based on other like Capcom fighting games and stuff. Like you'll see some Street mm. Fighter moves here, and you'll see Final Fight move here. And like, is there a dam like, level? Uh, I've only two stages in, no dam yet. But it's mm. drawing more off the beat 'em up, so I don't know if they'll do a dam level. Mm. How, how many hyperstones do you think will be heisted? Ooh, there, there very well may be some hyperstones the way this is going so far. <laughs> I would not be surprised. Mm. But it's got reasons to replay the levels too. It's like, hey, there's secrets you can find. There's uh, objectives. Uh, like You know how you can like throw the foot soldiers at the screen in the old games? So it's like, yeah, if you throw 10 foot soldiers at the screen in this stage, you can unlock this bonus. And then it's also got an overworld map. So depending what secrets you find, it like branch the paths too. So there, there's a lot of cool stuff in it. Um, and you can do six player co-op, which is awesome too. Get a lot of, uh, is there a lot of shell shock, uh, when they die and cowabungas? And... We didn't die. We're pretty good. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. If you like the old ones, it's like the best version of all the old stuff you could imagine for those kind of beat-em-ups. Um, I kicked my son off to play Maneater the other day, and he was like, uh, he's like, can I play your Nintendo? And I was like, yeah, of course you can play the Nintendo. So we went to the game room, and he came out with The Legend of Zelda. And he's like, I, I've been meaning to try this for a while, because I really like Breath of the Wild. Can I try this? So I helped him set up a file, which was funny in itself. He's like, I can't go down. I'm like, hit select. He's like, what yeah. select? <laughs> so we got that started, got him going, and he's like, I'm like, you just let me know if you want some direction. Like, I can help you with the first little bit before I, my memory starts getting fuzzy. He's like, nope. He's like, I just want to see what what, I, what happens for a while. He found the sixth dungeon pretty quick and realized that was a pretty tough dungeon. He's like, maybe I should go try and find an earlier one. Then he found the eighth dungeon, and that was even worse. So I'm like, I will help you find the first dungeon. Walked him there, and he, beat the, he cleared the first two dungeons and almost the third before uh, he called it a night. Uh, but yeah, I was really impressed. Like he figured out how to like find that eighth dungeon by burning a tree with the candle with no help from me. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty awesome. Um, what else have I done? Oh, I started selling some stuff again in my collection. Um, you sure so I, did. Yeah, I pulled out a whole bunch, about half of the PC stuff I had. I'm going to try and get rid of. 
and I pulled out about half of my guides and art books too, to get rid of and some duplicates I had for Nintendo Powers. So I listed those locally and online in a few places and they've started moving a little bit. Man, looking through old PC games is so fun that like the stuff they put in there and the care that's into those boxes and those maps and those manuals, like you buy a collector's edition now and they, they're not as cool as just the regular old plain role-playing game you bought in the late 90s or late 80s. I was going through some of this stuff when I was getting ready to sell my parents and I just, I have a stack of paper, um, anything I have a kind of a duplicate of. So like I've come across several copies of TIE Fighter. So like I have like a complete copy and then I have some spare paper if I, you know, I've ever need to, you know, give one to someone or something. And there's like the instruction manual and then there's like the TIE Fighter pilot manual that like they would have given to like an Imperial, you know, like yeah. pilot learning how to play. And it's like, you oh, it's so, so cool. Some of the detail they go into. Yeah, just this morning, a guy messaged me locally, and he's like, he's like, hey, I'm only interested in games that have cloth maps. Mm. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, I will look through every one of these boxes and figure out which ones have cloth maps. And so I just pulled out everything that had a map and, like, sent him pictures of them. And even if he doesn't buy anything, I'm like, oh, it's so cool. Like, there's a game called Alpha Centauri, and it's got a big <clears> star map that goes with it. And all the old Ultima and Might and Magic games have these beautiful maps that go with them. Like, oh, so cool. Yeah, Alpha Centauri is a Sid Meier game. That's an awesome yep. one. That's the, Is that one that I missed on your list? That's on my list, yeah. It's got like a hexagon-shaped box and like really cool. Ooh, I'm going to have to ping you about that. Yeah, take another look. Um, my, I also got to do a fun fixing job this last week too where my wife's boss uh, reached out and was like, hey, I've got an Atari VCS um it's not working. I want it to work. Like it's been in my parents' cabin for the last 40 years and I plugged it in to play it and nothing happened. So can you take a look at it? So he sent it home and I just gave it back to him today. Uh, his you know, power source was shot. The, the AV cord was like split and they had like taken it apart and like wrapped the wires around things. And so I just replaced the AV cord too and got a new controller and because I had it apart anyway, I cleaned the whole shell because it was all you know dusty and gross. So I gave it back to him looking brand new today, and I was so happy to... I haven't done like a quick, easy, little, fun fix like that in quite a while. So I played a little bit of Missile Command while I was testing that out for him, too, and some skiing. Um, and then for shows, uh, I traded in a whole bunch of my movies uh, for some new ones, and uh, I got a bunch I'm really pumped about. I didn't realize this guy, like, he always deals in used stuff, but he's starting to do new things. So he actually had a 4K Blu-ray of The Batman, which mm. I was able to pick up off him. Um, I've been looking for a copy of UHF to watch with my son for a long time. So I got UHF and watched it with him, and that's still pretty dang funny. Um, but, so stupid! <laughs> yeah. The thing that excited me the most, and I'm not exaggerating, I've been looking for this movie for 20 years, and I had a saved eBay search forever. I have never seen a copy on DVD. It's all only ones that were showing up were VHS copies, and even those were like once a year, like really rare. But there was a very early Brad Pitt movie called Johnny Swade, and <laughs> I've wanted it for so long. With the I've hair? I've never seen it with the hair <laughs> so i yeah i double take grabbed it off the shelf and i like i put it down by the guy i'm like don't let anything happen to this like i'm so excited <laughs> to be 
he just looked at me really weirdly but yeah i haven't watched it yet i'm, I'm waiting for like a night where the kids aren't gonna bug me and i can really like focus but i have not been this excited for a movie in a very long time good for you um yeah and then uh, i rewatched both the conan movies with arnold uh over the last couple weeks and I still love them both for very, very different reasons. Like, like you're talking about Ghostbusters 2, uh, Conan the Destroyer is kind of like that, where it's, I, like, I know it's bad, but I'm, I'm having fun watching it while it's happening. And <laughs> it was probably the movie where Arnold looks the best, like, in his whole career. Like, he looks, still looks pretty bodybuilder in that one. Mm-hmm. And they have him, you know, in just, like, the little loincloth for most of the movie. Um, we had some friends over to watch some movies and usually they don't let me pick anymore because they don't like my choices. Uh, but we'd scrolled through Netflix for like half an hour and they're like, no one was agreeing on anything. And they're, there's like, go to the, go to the list. Like, you know, the, what do you call it? my list where it's like the ones you plan to watch. Yeah. And I had put one movie in there and it was, they live by John Carpenter. Okay. And they're like, like, let's try this thing. And usually those are the kind of movies, but I picked them. They're like, you don't get to pick next time. Uh, but I think it's a great a movie. Time. Everyone had a good time watching yeah. it. Like we were making fun of the funny, the dialogue is so hilarious in that movie. And other than like the first, maybe 20 minutes is really slow. After that, like it's just a blast. Like it's bonkers and crazy and weird. And th- there was a moment where he kidnapped this woman, takes her up to her own apartment. They have, you know, a little bit of dialogue and he's just talking and then just totally out of nowhere she hits him in the head with a wine bottle does a roundhouse kick and kicks him out the two-story window and it happens so fast that all of us like pause the movie and we're like what just happened like did we all see that like it, it was so weird um but yeah we were talking about it the next day which is you know my favorite thing when we watch a movie that it, yeah. even if you didn't like it it made some kind of impact and you want to discuss it so so real quick speaking of they live uh, and uh, he's got other connections to interests that we have. Guess who I might be meeting if the stars align? I end up going to the Connecticut Horror Fest in September. John Carpenter, Keith David, Keith David. Oh, sweet! Is going to be at the CT Horror. Are you going to try and fight him? Because I don't recommend that. He looks like he no. could take a pretty big beating. In, in I'm going to address him as uh, Anderson, as opposed to uh, <laughs> <laughs> more of like a. Regal sound. I'm going to bring my, uh, what do you call it? My uh, Omni tool. <laughs> oh, sweet. See if he can maybe sign that. But yeah, so it's, uh, I kind of get my feeds like, oh, CT Horror Fest. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be hours away at a casino or something like that. It's at the Naugatuck, Connecticut, like event center. I'm like, it's like 15 minutes away. Like, absolutely. Nice. So, and some other cool people too. Like, so, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, he's a name that pops up that I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to find a way to get to this thing. Absolutely. That's, that'd be awesome. Um, and then I'll bang out some quick shows here. I watched Obi-Wan. We don't really need to talk about that too much till Chris is caught up. Did you like it? It was okay. Like, I don't... I didn't need it. It didn't wow okay. me in any way, really. Okay. Um, I've been watching The Orville still, and the f- it started a third season now, and it gets... Like, I liked the first season. It was difficult because of all the Seth MacFarlane stuff, but every season he seems to get a better handle on that. And so in the third season, like there's like one line in every episode where he does like a, Hey, remember this Billy Joel song or something like that. Uh, but the rest of the episodes, like Star Trek, the next generation now. Um, and the stories are awesome and they're covering stuff that 
you know, if they were still making next generation episodes, I think they probably would have covered. Um, it's it's really neat. I like it, but it's also sad this season because like every episode opens with like an in memoriam because they keep losing people involved in the show, which mm. you know, is kind of sad. Like uh, Norm Macdonald played this really great character called Yafit, who was like a blob of jelly, but he was like part of their engineering department, and he had like a relationship with one of them. Like oh, he was hilarious in that show. Mm. It's really funny. I uh, caught up on Stranger Things thanks to Bill and another friend of mine have both been talking up the new season. So I'm excited to see how that ends. It has been really solid. Uh, I wasn't disappointed. You guys are right. Um, or, yeah, I'm glad I stuck with it because I definitely didn't plan to. Uh, the new season of The Boys is incredible. It's so... I don't normally like gore and like gross-out humor, but everything beyond those parts of the show is so solid that I can handle them um that's why I've, that's that's why i've avoided it yeah like there's it's, it's kind of worth it to go through that stuff and they make all that stuff meaningful like it's okay. not just there to gross you out or just there to surprise you it's there yeah. and it serves a purpose that's what i've always thought about it is like that it's just using that shock or you know like that uh, that's how they market it uh, but it it's much better than it's marketing okay yeah um, started Umbrella Academy the new season uh, today, which it's been on like Stranger Things like on hiatus for a couple years, but man, it's really good too. Um, Elliot Page has since transitioned from Ellen, uh, and they built the character around that and like discuss it in the show too, and it fit really well. And mm-hmm. it was beautiful how her family dealt with it, and it was really cool. I'm only about halfway through that, but I plan to keep going there. That's about it. I think that's everything since last time we talked. Cool. It's a good amount. Yeah. So lots of crappy stuff going on in the news lately. So I thought we'd do a pretty light topic, just something fun. And we're going to talk about our favorite art style in games today. Talked about some aesthetics and some visuals and, and nothing we needed to do a whole lot of homework on or anything like that. Uh, so I thought a good place to start would be like, is there a first moment you remember when a game stood out to you specifically just visually? Like, wow, this game looks better than other games or looks different than other games. Because uh, I know when I was a kid, like it was just games for quite a while until something kind of stood out to me like that. Uh, let's start with you, Bill. Uh, anything stand out to you? I'm, you glad, I'm glad you said that because I, I kind of had this little I took you know a couple notes uh, before and I was kind of like thinking about it and uh, just in my notes here I said you know when I was younger I never remembered thinking about like quote unquote art style like I was just a kid playing games right and like I never really thought of like because when you're playing NES like certain games look way one look one way and certain games look like another but like you can kind of always tell you're playing an NES. And then, like, same thing with Genesis. Like, some games look one way and some games look the other. But, like, I don't know if it was just in my head, but, like, they, they kind of just had that Genesis look to them. Like, they, they all, you know, were on the same hardware. So, for me, it wasn't until uh, we got a little bit older, we would go down on summer vacation to Ocean City, Maryland, and we got to visit a lot of uh, arcades on the boardwalk. And the arcade was really where, like, things would, like, jump out at me as looking different. So, I don't know if it was, like the extra power that the machinery had or just that you know the the creative uh teams were able to you know kind of like let their uh let their imaginations go a little crazier but um a couple of the first ones i remember standing out uh were this game that like 
I kind of have to describe a lot to people like uh, and I didn't know the name of it for the longest time I had to have I had to like describe it and have people like tell it back to me it's a Taito uh, arcade game called Gladiator you guys ever play this game no so I had such a memory of this game like I, I played this game probably like in the late 80s early 90s and I remember vividly in my head it being photorealistic like I thought I was playing <laughs> reality like you know how like Pit Fighter had like digitized graphics and Street Fighter like it looked real yeah. like I had vivid memories of this looking real once I kind of described to someone I was like you're like you're like a knight you got armor on you you're kind of side scrolling and like your armor can get knocked off you and like you're fighting one person at a time um, and then, like, you know, I, I described it a bunch on, a, on, I think it was RF Gen, and someone was like, is that Gladiator? And I looked it up, and I was like, oh, my God, yes, it is. But I remember it looking so much better. And that's <laughs> just kind of like the memory, you know, like sometimes you have of a kid. But even watching it now, I think what got me about it was it, it had, like, in so many games, like, the, the character is, like, one model or, like, a body with, like, a moving arm or something. There were, like, not just separate legs, but, like, the lower leg pivoted off the upper leg that pivoted off the body that pivoted off, like, the upper body. And, like, every it was, like, almost like a marionette. Like, every single part of this guy was, like, a diff, was differently animated. And I remember seeing that and thinking, like, whoa, like, what are they doing here? And just the fact that, like, you know, the armor got knocked off. And I don't know if I had played Ghosts and Goblins or anything like that by this time. So it was, like, the first time I noticed, like, individual kind of pieces like that. So... Uh, that was one of the first I, times I remember. I'm watching a clip right now, and, like, it's so funny. Like, he moves in certain ways, and, like, his body, literally, like, his neck is not... He has no neck. His head's yeah. not connected to his torso. It just, like, yeah. moves around. <laughs> yeah, and I'm telling you, it's, it's a game I have vivid memories of. I don't think I ever played it after, like, initially playing it as a kid. It's not a game that people, like, are after or anything. You can You can emulate it, I'm sure, on MAME or something like that. But yeah, I have vivid memories of the of the art style of that game, uh, and then a little bit later, just to mention uh, another big one that we saw a lot when we were uh, on those arcade trips, was The Simpsons uh, in the arcade, um, and this one stood out a lot because it was so like the arcade was powerful enough. Where, like, there were 16-bit Simpsons games, but like they looked like 16-bit Simpsons games like the arcade game to me like looked like you were like in an episode or like walking around Springfield and uh, the animation like the bosses um, but yeah the Simpsons was was huge like we would just it was one of those games where you'd walk into the arcade and you'd kind of like hear the music before you saw the machine and you were like ooh they have it where is it and then you had to go find it but yeah yeah those were two of like the the arcade art styles that kind of jumped out to me uh, early on but you Chris First moment the game set up visually, um, <clears throat> I guess I would say in a way that made me really take like a big back step. <clears throat> I would say Dragon's Lair in the arcade. Oh, hundred um, percent. Yeah. I mean, in the eighties, you know, you were playing things that were very pixely. I mean, graphics were not great, and at home you were playing Atari twenty six hundred and things, you know. And then Dragon's Lair shows up in the arcade. Yeah. It's a freaking cartoon. And you don't understand. I didn't understand as a kid. Like, oh, this is like a laser disc. And it's not really kind of a game. You're just playing. To me, you're like, oh, my God. You know. Yeah. 
And of course you're lousy at it. I'm like, but you think like half the time <laughs> you're in that phase where like, well, I'm a kid. Maybe I just don't know what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. Mm. And you watch other people and they could get through things you're like, okay, well then maybe I'm just not very good at this. And, uh, I just remember how just ridiculously you're like, how on earth did this happen? Right. We went from what yeah. we were playing to this all of a sudden. Yeah, it was crazy. Berserk with little bloop bloops, and now I'm right. And your cartoon, the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. And then after you saw a few of them, you're like, okay, I I get it, right? This is it's like a movie. But I mean, the first time you saw it, yeah, it really just blew you away. Um, It still looks great too. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. And of course, I mean, now that you can get you know super high quality versions of the same game, I mean, it's it's still beautifully done. Um, on the home side, I think probably the first thing that jumps to mind would be um, Donkey Kong and the ColecoVision. And okay. Because, you know, I had an Atari 2600. Most of the kids you knew had an Atari 2600. That was the common denominator, right? You just you swap tapes with people. Uh, yeah, everybody had these. And then my one friend for Christmas got the ColecoVision and that came with Donkey Kong. And to us at the time, it was like, Oh my God, this is arcade Donkey Kong. And we were, you know, amazed by like the leap in quality. So I just remember being just be like, Holy crap. Look at this. Like makes Atari look like garbage. <laughs> so, cause I was, I had like a Donkey Kong in the Atari 2600. If you've ever seen that thing, it's a, I used to play a lot of that when I was a kid. It's garbage. Uh, but when you're playing this, you're like, oh my god, the arcade is at home. This is amazing. Yeah, good picks, definitely. Um, so for me, um, play a lot of Atari, a lot of NES. Nothing on either of those systems really stood out from each other um, when I was a kid. Uh, when we got our Genesis, though, that's when I started to notice things. <clears throat> so when I played Comic Zone, that was one of the first ones where I'm like, this doesn't look like anything else i've ever played and it feels like a comic like they had you know the little gags like where the guy's like drawing himself in and stuff at the start and then the panels like ripping and things and and being just like how it progressed too like you could go down through panels sometimes and you could go right and you could tear the bottom of the page open and uh, it was really neat visually um so that one always stood out to me and i i think probably made the game made me play the game longer than i would have otherwise because it's really tough uh, and the other one that stood out to me was also on the Genesis, uh, was the Adventures of Batman and Robin, because like Bill was saying about the Simpsons, I'm like, this one actually looks like the show, because mm. I played Batman games before and Simpsons games and X Men games, and you know, yeah, if you squint, they look like the characters they're supposed <laughs> to, but this one like kind of looked like specifically the animated series, not just mm. a generic Batman. It looked like the TV show that I was also watching after school which was really cool. And I, I hadn't really had that experience before. And then I probably went to the arcade, like within that year and, and played Simpsons and X-Men and turtles and things like that shortly yeah. after. Awesome. Um, yeah. So we were speci- specifically talking about early stuff there. So of course it's we're all 2d we're talking about. Um, but do you guys have a preference between 2d and 3d when it comes specifically just to art direction in games? Uh, I I definitely do. And I've, I've kind of examined this about myself a little bit and like, it kind of comes down to the style of game. 
but also sometimes familiarity with the material for me. Like the, the obvious example is um, uh, Street Fighter 2. Um, like just growing up with this being a 2D game, uh, like the, the 3D is like really, really hard for me to embrace as beautiful as they can make it. It's just in my mind, I just see the World Warrior and Champion Edition and Super and Alpha and Third Strike and like all the stuff that I love. So then, you know, 4 comes out and it's like, all right, well, you know, we knew it was going to happen eventually. Like, you know, some of the 2D games have had 3D backgrounds and like, you know, they've kind of been going that way for a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but like that, like that transition where a 2D game has things just fully rendered in 3D and same thing with the, the, the newer Mortal Kombat's and the newer, uh, you know, like the DC, uh, like some of the fighting games. Um, I'm not really a big, like, Smash person, um, but, like, I don't, like, I, I feel like that kind of came later. So, like, it doesn't kind of, like, weirdly bug me the same way that, like, a one-on-one -on -one 2D fighter would. Um, so, like, it's not just specifically I love 2D for certain things and then 3D for other things. Like, I really think it's just growing up as a street fighter kid it's still really difficult for me to look at the uh, uh the 2d sorry the 3d uh street fighter stuff and really uh, latch onto it but at the same time there are games that control in 2d that are fully rendered in 3d that i absolutely adore and uh, we'll be talking about a couple of those when we get to the highlight of uh, uh some of my personal favorites but yeah it's i have found uh that it depends on not not so much the type of game but my familiarity with you know if it's an existing franchise or not yeah like those ones you're talking about like they all have their roots in, in 2d but what about like uh like a virtual fighter or a tekken or something that started and was always in 3d do you yep. still feel that way about those yeah so games? so it's funny actually i've written down uh uh i didn't read it directly but i said if i had always played a fighting game in 3d then i'm okay like tekken and soul Calibur. <laughs> Because like Soul Calibur Soul just Calibur. just got gorgeous. it, and yeah. it was like all like always in 3D. And and the thing is, I played it first on the Dreamcast, and Dude. I didn't realize there was an arcade version. I ended up playing the arcade version later in my local arcade, Time Out in Danbury, but it didn't look nearly as good as the Dreamcast one, which is kind of a, the reverse of what you're normally used to. It kind of had it looked like it was like a reskin of Tekken One. It's just very blocky and very like almost like a PlayStation, like without like a lot of like really nice rendered graphics. So the game was still good, but I was like, man, it doesn't look good. Like the Dreamcast one destroys it. But yeah, so like Tekken 3 was the first Tekken I played because the IGN review was awesome. So Tekken 3, Tekken Tag, Soul Cal 1, Soul Cal 2. I don't think I played Soul Cal 3 because I was like uh, just weirded out about you know spawn being in one and Hihachi and link and that, that yoda was two. oh that was two that, that had the yeah and yoda so, and darth vader was four i think okay so, so i did play two i did not play three was yeah there was uh something where i didn't like i didn't want to do what they were asking me for for three um but yeah cervantes is not like every everything soul caliber was great and it's so it's not just like okay if it's a fighter it has to be 2d it's like no, no, I've always played this in 3D. It's okay. Right. So it's almost like the transition bugs me. Um, so yeah, 2D versus 3D. Um, it, I, I like. It's almost like a case case by case. Like I never see a, an art style and think, no, I'm not going to play that game because it's not this number of Ds. 
you know it's it's kind of <laughs> like whatever it uh you know whatever kind of like grabs me and then there's games but like, it has um, to be at least 60 frames though minimum minimum and and support ultra wide <laughs> <laughs> but with um uh, uh psychonauts 2 uh, which has a crazy oh, awesome, uh, yeah. crazy awesome art style. It it switches between, so you'll be in a three D platforming area, and then you'll get sucked into a thing, and like you're in like a two D thing, um, and and similar to, um, uh, it it makes it it has more of an impact in something like a Mario Odyssey because with Mario having his roots in two D, when you go from three D to two D Mario game, it's more impactful because you're like not only are you going back to two D. The music changes to 8-bit. The enemies change to 8-bit. Sometimes they even combine like the older 2D elements with some of the 3D elements. Whether you're popping like in or out of that 2D, and like it hits you, like sometimes in the feels, and you're like, I wasn't expecting to like you know get like emotional about like a little nostalgia trip in a Mario game, yeah. but like it happens. So that's another good example of like Mario's got his roots in 2D, but I absolutely adore Mario Galaxy and Mario Odyssey. So. It, it really kind of seems like it's a case by case for me. Totally. Uh, Chris, 2D versus 3D. Where do you fall on that one? I mean, I'm kind of similar on this with Bill, but for me, it's more of depends on how the art direction is handled. So, you know, when I think about 2D art, I don't think even now 3D art can't touch good 2D art. I mean, you just. The graphical, we don't have the fidelity to match what someone can do with hand-drawn artwork yet um, when it's done really, really well. I mean, you see games like like Hollow Knight, right? Where you're like, this is beautiful, right? And mm -hmm. it's it, it totally belongs in what it is um, and shouldn't be changed. Um, but then... There are other games where it can do things 2D can't do, right? So I'm, I'm going to try to not abuse these calls too much, but like with a lot of these From games, right, you'll... If you take the time to look around, there's amazing things to see everywhere. And sometimes they'll use your movement paths to guide you or force you to look at certain things in certain ways and they make an impression on you or they teach you something that you can't really do in a 2D game. Um, and again, there's some 3D games that don't, they don't throw the frills in, right? It's just a cruddy background and they don't care about any of it and you're focused on the action and who cares, right? But when the right time is taken to really make it feel like a world, it's really hard for 2D to complete, compete with that. So, uh, again, I think it very much boils down to are the right tools used for the right job? And if you're just going to make a 3D space that's full of some boxes and walls and it's boring as heck, I don't care, right? That's not visually interesting to me i don't care if it's 2d or 3d um give me if you're going to put me in a 3d space give me a reason to want to look around right totally yeah i'm right there with you guys um i, I think mostly when it comes to 3d for me 
if it's a game where there's humans in it, we haven't hit that point yet where a CG human looks good enough. They they always look off. But when you like you're talking about Dark Souls, like when everybody's got helmets on or they're weird deformed creatures or things, like I can get into that world and I can lose myself there. But yeah, like Bill mentioned Street Fighter, like I hate the art style in four, five and six. I think they're ugly. Uh, but it's not just Street Fighter. It's like every fighting game now, for the most part, is going 3D models, like you know, Mortal Kombat and Injustice and Tekken. All, all the ones that have always been 3D, obviously, are still 3D. But yeah, like they don't typically do that anymore. Um, and and when they do try and get stylized, though, like they can be good. Like that Dragon Ball Fighters, uh, it looks gorgeous. It's mm. great. Those characters look awesome. Uh, Guilty Gear still does pretty good character models even though that's moved to the 3d realm now too but typically yeah i prefer prefer 2d in most cases um but like chris said there's definitely some exceptions and they can do things in 3d that that they can't like when you i, I don't typically like open world games but there's sometimes you, you know you climb over that building or you climb up that mountain and you're just looking at this huge vista and it's gorgeous you can just see how far the world goes you can see that oh there's something over there that's interesting or that building i'm gonna have to get to later when i'm stronger yeah that that's quite a moment um so to go to some of your favorites now um i thought it would be cool to look at games where the art style is really integrated into the gameplay as well not just pretty but like you cannot separate these two things like they go together um, so Bill, let's start with you again. Um, I want to hear some examples of games where you feel like the art and the gameplay really complement each other. Yeah, so I was never very good at this game, um, but I watched my brother play it a lot, and I was always impressed with how it looked, how it behaved, and how it felt like even if you could try to do this type of gameplay in a different art style, like it wouldn't have the impact uh, that it did in this one. Um, and that game was Beautiful Joe. Um, oh, cool. <laughs> I honestly just, I, I didn't get it. Like, I, I could watch it and I could appreciate it, but I was like, I don't understand, like, what you're doing. And then, like, it would slow down. Henshin to go-go, baby. I, I mean, whatever that means. <laughs> That's what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was uh, his thing. So, yeah, so, like, it would slow down and, like, so when I would play, I would just get frustrated and I was like, I don't know what's happening or why I'm not doing it right. And then he would take it and he would just do all these crazy cool things and it would zoom in and slow down and move around. And, and like cell shading was just a thing for a while that felt super right gimmicky, era, yeah. super gimmicky. Like someone figured out how to do it and it's like, everything's cell shaded now. And then it was like, Oh, like this is going to be the game that really gets cell shading off the ground. And then it was 13 and there was cell damage and there was just like all this different stuff. And like, it never, never clicked with me. I tried a little Jet bit. Set, and the, there was a Winter, Simpsons. Yeah. There was a Simpsons. Was it hit and run road rage? I think road rage. Yep. The more cell shady one. Simpsons yeah. road rage. Um, but yeah. And like, so to me, cell shading was never a thing. And then like the, like there's been a few legitimately great cell shaded games like wind waker is one of my favorite uh, zelda games that i was kind of resistant to for a while as was a lot of the world when they first kind of heard about it and then they were like hey calm down play it. like wait till you play it you'll see um but yeah but beautiful was one of those things that i saw 
and got me like really like okay like maybe this is a thing where you know it where the art with the style and the gameplay work together and then building off that just a little bit is another game that my brother got really into that is sitting behind me on my background here is okami um i don't know if you can take the way that the art is drawn and the way that the game is played and separate them and say okay just do it regular 3d and like change the art style like it, it does i don't know if the game is the same thing without and, it. and there's the whole like paintbrush mechanic in there too and it feels like you're in a painting exactly so they they just like blur together it like feels like you're helping create other parts of this world exactly like so that so the you know like that's one where like if you changed it you'd have people being like oh man like what if we were actually were in a painting you know like you'd you'd, you'd want it to be the way that it actually uh actually is so so yeah those are some because like you could make a street fighter in 2d or 3d apparently it's you could do that and like <laughs> some some say you can. yeah yeah it's it's those games have been released i mean it's it's been achieved <laughs> so but yeah the, these are two that kind of pop out because i was trying to think of ones that were um you know like striking enough like in the art style that the art style is you know kind of really pops when you look at it but also i don't think could be made another way and those were those are the ones i came up with hmm. what about you chris so Two games came to mind with this question right away, and they're both by the same creator, so I'm just going to kind of lump them together because I think they're basically the same idea anyway. And that is Res and Child of Eden. Nice. These are these amalgamations of visuals and sound coupled in with... loosely with a game, but... I don't know how to describe them other than an experience because they really aren't akin to anything else, right? They are their own kind of artistic pieces, really, if you think about them. And um, where Rez started out with kind of that um, polygonal 3D piece and putting the music and everything together with it. Child of Eden is almost like a dreamscape to go through when you play it. Um, it's very flowing. Everything is just, I don't know how to describe it. It's something you have to play, right? At times, it's almost like a painting. Version? What's that? Res? Have you played the VR version of Res? No, I have not. So for me, like I played Res and I agree with everything you just said, but it didn't really click with me. But when I played the VR version, like I was like, oh, I like get what this game was meant to be. And it, it's mm. oh, it like totally like recontextualized it for me. I, I love that VR version of Res. Kind of like I think Child of Eden is one of the few good Connect games. Right? Um, it feels like it makes sense to use your hands to do what you're to, what you're doing in that game. It doesn't feel like, oh, this is some dumb tacked on thing that they threw in. It's like somebody thought about this mm. and yeah, you can play on a controller and you can still enjoy it. But it's one of those games when I played it, just connect, I didn't feel like an idiot. 
that's out here flailing <laughs> my arms around just being stupid because a game wants me to. It was like, I feel like these movements, right? I'm kind of being pulled into this experience because of having to move along with it, right? Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's very strange. I don't, there's nothing quite like it. I don't know how to describe it to anybody that hasn't played them. I would just encourage anybody if you've not touched Res or Child of Eden to really you should give it a, you should give them a go. Totally agree. And I want to say I love you guys' answers because I had a list that was way too big to talk about, and you guys knocked off four <laughs> games off my list just now. So. Good, good. Uh, so I will warn you, I have many honorable mentions. So me too. Have to I've got a few. Those. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I didn't want my whole everything to be 2D, 2D, 2D. So I tried really hard to come up with some 3D ones that I really love, the art style, and you can't really separate them. Uh, so one of them uh, is 3 Game Heroes. Yo, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Boxes. I haven't thought about that in a while. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all, like, it's the first thing. Like, it's been Lego games for years and years and years. Speaking years, of FromSoft. first time where, yeah, FromSoft game too, uh, where I kind of felt like, the world was built out of blocks like and the whole thing is like incredibly uh designed around that gimmick and so the way the camera moves all the jokes about how things are built and designed like they, they have like the the spells you get in that game are they act very much like the spells you get from a link to the past but they're like jokes on like how you used to like design games uh, so like they'll be called like parallax because it'll have like a parallax effect and stuff. So like everything you're doing in the game is very intentionally like, hey, like this is kind of two D three D ish, and and they they play on that theme a lot, and it's it's really fun. Lots of great dungeons, uh, cool. Like really, the, probably the best Zelda clone I've ever played. That's not an actual Zelda game. I think they in some cases they out Zelda Zelda. Oh man! Well, you've got yeah, a few decades worth of Zelda influence to draw on. So yeah, they can they can fix some things that the old games maybe didn't do. And there's well. like a giant fish sword. And there's a giant fish sword that you can like max out and it takes out the whole screen. Like oh, that's great. <laughs> I that was I can't remember if it was that one or Mirror's Edge, but one of those two was the first game I ever got a platinum trophy in. Mm. And I had to do a bunch of grinding in there to get all those swords maxed out. It was not. That was maybe the worst part of the game, but that's when trophies were still new and people were trying to figure them out. That's such a shame that that game is locked to PS3 and is not that readily available for people. Yeah, I would love a new version of that on the Switch. They don't even have to add anything; just slap it on there. I'd be thrilled. Right. Yeah. Um, another one that I love, uh, both because of the game mechanics and the art style, is Ikaruga. Uh, where they play on those color themes uh, mm. where you've got like the dark bullets and the light bullets and they blend that into the gameplay where you can switch your polarities to uh, absorb bullets or do more damage Great pick. depending on which color you are uh, yeah like the whole game is based around uh, color scheme uh, which is really cool really unique no other like shoot 'em up that I'm aware of really tried to copy it which is unfortunate because it's awesome it's mm. really fun and it's got that risk reward down like perfectly 2t mm. just beautiful uh and i'll do a couple other really really quick ones here uh there's an indie game called gorogoa uh, i don't expect either you guys to know it but i got it in that annapurna bundle that i i bought about a year ago and 
it's got the whole game takes place in four quadrants and they're just these beautiful art pieces and it'll be like a dude sitting in a doorway you can grab the picture and manipulate it so you can take part of that door up into another frame and then the guy's still sitting there but the door's up here and now that there's no guy in the door you can walk through that door and it changes the art and now your new place has you know a tree and a bird and it's like okay i'll pull the tree over here and now the bird's by himself and now the bird can go and bug the guy and he'll walk over to this part and so you're just manipulating images the whole time to solve puzzles mm. and it's it's beautiful and it's got this incredible story that it tells through the art that you're looking at and walking through and manipulating uh, it's just really cool so if you haven't seen gorogoa i'm pretty sure it's like dirt cheap most like the seam sales on right now i bet you it's like five bucks or less mm. uh really really cool game uh my last one uh, is... uh real quick it is four dollars and 49 cents on the steam sale See? right now i was just taking a wild guess yep. and 70 uh, yeah. percent off totally worth it for four and a half bucks mm. uh last one i want to mention there is the paper mario games uh i specifically want to talk about super paper mario but kind of applies to all of them uh, where they just they have that art style where everything's like literally 2D, yeah. and they they make jokes about it, and the game <laughs> like just has a lot of fun with it. But in Super Paper Mario, uh, they have that one where you can like uh, flip the axis, and then so like if you see a crack in the wall, you can like your your paper you can slide through that crack, and you like you have a whole another dimension to the game that they they play with the whole time. That's super fun and, and clever, and they do some really neat things with. Um, so art styles mean a lot of different things and especially in the last 10 years we get a lot of remakes uh, ports of things um, remasters so I was kind of wondering how you guys view ports and remakes not like full like not a Resident Evil 2 kind of uh, remake but like um, where they just update the visuals or they port it to another system like chris's example when we started uh donkey kong being on two different systems and one system like blowing your mind and one system being like like yeah i guess i'll play it i have nothing better um yeah how do you guys feel about those kind of things uh it's it it depends because typically what i want is the same thing i remember just like prettier and you know fix some issues um but like i'm not always crazy about like you know like reimaginings or like uh you know even like some sometimes when uh you know like the with some of the final fantasy uh you know like remakes over the years we're like oh like we've added some cg video or like you know <laughs> we've done i'm like oh well you know i kind of just rather play you know the version a version that looks like what i remember but then you know there's been times where like because uh, i played metal gear solid on the original playstation and it's you know it's very you know it's it's got that weird kind of playstation rendering thing happening so like a lot of like shaky bits where like you know like the the geometry is kind of like you know uh doing the best it can to keep up and like the the <laughs> textures aren't really super smooth and then when they added that feature on, I think it was like the PS one um, had it. And also like the, the PlayStation two had that, like, like the, the texture smoothing and you turned it on and it was like, Oh cool. Like it's like not quite as block, but like it was kind of like a pick and choose. It was like, yeah, it made it smoother, 
but I kind of lost a little bit of that original charm that like I really liked about it. And same thing with Gran Turismo, like it was super blocky and like you know crazy looking. But then like when you lost that blockiness and then you got to Gran Turismo like three and four, it was like yeah, I mean they look way better, but like you know there's something about the charm of that original one. So, but sometimes you go back to the original and you're like, like I said before with Gladiator, it's like man, this is not as good looking as I remember. Uh, like with Halo. I remember Halo 1 on the OG Xbox looking down at the grass and thinking, like, I don't know how it's ever going to get better than this. Like, <laughs> looking at individual blades of grass, and then you would kind of back up from it a little bit. And, like, it's not like the, like, it was like you could see the blades of grass when you were right there, and then you backed up. And it's like they were still there, but you could just kind of tell they were just, like, slightly out of focus or slightly because you were just further away. But you got closer and it was there again. It was like, man. It doesn't just look like the same thing that you pulled away from. Like, this is amazing. And then I remember, like, playing, like, the Master Chief Collection years later, and they let you hit that button. I love that toggle. So Where you can flip back and forth. Like, that is, like, a million percent what I want when they're not giving you just, like, the same thing that you used to have, like, up-res. Like, like... Let me let me go back like real time. Don't make me like load up version A at the start screen or version B. Let me play it and then at any time hit a button and flip over. And they said that that feature wasn't planned from the beginning. They like oh. they like ha- like halfway through realized like, hey, <laughs> can, do can we do this? Do we have enough performance? So they like run the game engines like side by side so, and they only show you one of them. I had no plan to bring this up, but you just reminded me of a funny story uh, pretty recently. Uh, when they did that Diablo 2 remaster uh, just recently, I had a couple friends who were super into it, uh, like just really hardcore. And like the one guy's like, we need a team of at least four of us because I want to go through Uber Tristram. I've never been able to do that. I want to beat it on hell. Like I want to do everything. And so he bought me a copy because I was like, I don't want to spend $60 <laughs> on a digital game. And so he's like, he's like, here, take it. And so he did that. <laughs> And the whole time we're playing, I was playing in the original graphics and they're all playing in the remaster stuff because they let you toggle it on and yep. off. That's awesome. And we were like, you know, 80 hours into this game. Like we've been playing together for a couple of weeks. And then they found that out just through something I said while we were talking. And they're like, what? Like you can do that? And I'm like, yeah, you just hit like G or whatever the button was and like it toggles it back and forth. And all of them were like, what? Ugh. Like I'm going to throw up. Like how can you play this? It looks so horrible. <laughs> No, this is the only way. It's like, yeah, this is what I remember. So this <laughs> yeah. felt comfortable. That's amazing. But yeah, so like, it, you know, so when it comes to a remake, it's it's kind of similar to what up to like 2D versus 3D. It's like, I'm, I really, really try not to be a rules person um, because I, I just, you know, I feel like when you're like stuck one way, like you, you kind of got to be open to like, you know, whatever, you know, the it's going to be the best experience. And like, sometimes it's going to be one way and sometimes it's going to be another. So I kind of like take it like case by case. So when it's like, all right, we're doing, um, you know, like uh, uh, we're touching up the graphics. It's like I really everyone kind of feels like that, that, you know, guardianship over the thing they love. Like, OK, we're re-releasing Star Wars and we're going to like, you know, make it better. And people are like, oh, I was going to bring that. Do you think that's the reason why we're gun shy is specifically Star Wars? I mean, it's it's a thought in like my head. People of our generation, at least. It's a thought in my head, like when when someone's like, you know, like we're going to redo, like you know, and and even though George Lucas has nothing to do with most of the rest of the world, it's like, oh, like they're they're going to be they're redoing, um, you know, uh, Big Trouble in Little China, and it's like somehow in your head you're like, ah, oh, George, 
you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, stop it. Yeah, I did. There's a in case you guys haven't heard, I think I've shown these guys before, but there's a there's a a comedy duo, a musical duo named Paul and Storm. Um, I love these guys. They're phenomenal. Um, They used to open uh, for um, Jonathan Colton. Um, They uh, they they play with uh, MC Front a lot. Um, They're just great, great, great guys. Um, And uh, I've seen them at PAX East a bunch of times. They've got this um, great song. Um, I believe it's called Thanksgiving um, related to George Lucas. And just if you got a minute, just, you know, throw on Spotify or YouTube, uh, Paul and Storm Thanksgiving. Uh, It's worth it. But, yeah, I I do think that that's we are gun shy about changing anything because of partially of like what happened with the original trilogy and uh, Star Wars. But like sometimes like a thing comes out and it's like, oh, this is like this is so awesome. It's every bit as, you know, as good as I remember. And then you look side by side and you're like, man, like they've actually changed quite a bit because like your your memory of the thing is like different than like your actually experience of that thing. So um, and then sometimes they just kind of go bananas like Final Fantasy remake where it's like full 3D, change the gameplay, change the voice actors, change absolutely everything. And I've got both things happening. I'm extremely excited that a thing that I've loved forever is getting a whole bunch of attention and i'm also really nervous if i'm going to enjoy the gameplay that is completely different than what i remember even though yeah, like the story and the subject matter is is the same so yeah I, I try to go into to things you know with an open mind and you know if it's for me great if not you know hopefully it's for somebody else but uh yeah it's uh however you know however the experience ends up uh, you know being delivered i try to give it a fair shot yeah but you chris so, I would say that I think I'm overall probably pretty positive on these. Um, I've got a couple examples that kind of illustrate three different takes that I think are both. There are I think all three are, are good, right? And okay. so, first one I'll I'll go with is uh, the Demon Souls remake on PS5, mm-hmm. where they literally kept the bones of the game, all the framework. All the frame data, it's all the same. They just redid the graphics, right? And it's awesome. It's a great job. That's a great way to do that. Um, you preserved everything that was important about the way the game played. It was still enjoyable. It was still the same experience. It was just a more pleasurable version of that experience. Fixed a few bugs. Um, added probably a couple of their own little minor touches that didn't really need to be there, but honestly, you can just forget them if you want. Another take on that idea is like Final Fantasy XII or like the Final Fantasy X or whatever, where they basically just up-res it, but they really clean it up and make it look like the best version of it, right? They didn't even bother to redo the graphics. They've just sharpened everything up to the best of like 4k can do and the graphics the base graphics are good enough to hold up to that right Right. you can look at it and you know it's an older game when you see it but it still looks like what you remember it still plays well and you can play it on a modern system so you're talking the hd remaster and zodiac age yes absolutely 100 percent 
And then the last one I'll go with is something I was cautious about, but even reimaginings can be good, and I'm going to hold up Resident Evil 2 remake. Totally. Um, RE2 is a little tough to go back and play, the original version these days, but RE2 remake is fantastic. It was amazingly well done. So I think as long as the developer's feet are held to the fire to preserve the essence of what the thing is and their task and scope is narrow to keep them in check, I think it can be very well done. I think we will probably all think of a few remakes that went wrong Mm -hmm. and... That's fine, but usually I think that's either like they brought some other team in or it was just the same creative minds were not involved. And I can see why that goes wrong. But there have just been some really good jobs done lately enough to where I can go, I don't wince when I hear that they're going to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. And I was going to talk about Resident Evil to the exact same way. Like it was... Like you said, like that early PS1 and 64 era is probably the hardest to go back to visually. And two, like when I was playing it with some friends, like you walk into the uh, uh, the desk where or the room where everyone's bullpens are, mm-hmm. and you can like see their nameplates, and it says like Leon Kennedy on it. You don't have to like push the button to have the text pop up, like. Yeah. It was like it was like how I remembered it. Sh- it looked yeah. twenty years ago, even though it, it absolutely does not look like that. Mm. Uh, nailed it. Um, the only complaint I have about those kind of things is I wish they would just slap the original on there too. So yeah. it's like it's included in the package, so you can see what it used to be, what it is now. I love to have that kind of uh, so you can just see how the series has like changed over the years. Um, like I played the Shadow Colossus remake with a friend recently, which is done the same way as Demon Souls, like you were talking about. Uh, so I'd love if they would have that like Diablo two or Master Chief Collection toggle where you can like mm. flip back and like just take a quick look. Like you don't have to play in that long, but it, it's really cool to see what they've done in real time like that. And if they can't make real time happen like with Resident Evil two because they've actually changed the bones of the game, it's like just. You know, that, that old game doesn't take up that much room anymore. Just slap it on as an extra in, in the game cartridge there just so you can see it. And, and and piggybacking off that, just real quick, there's a feature that I thought would become more commonplace. I was hoping it would become more commonplace, and it just hasn't. There are certain PC games. I don't know if it's happened on console. I can't think of a time where it's happened. But there's a handful of PC games that have, like, a director or developer commentary mode that you mm. activate, and while you're playing the game... You'll hear like the same way when you're watching like a DVD with director commentary, you'll hear developer commentary. They're like, now this room, like Portal 2. Now this room's really interesting. One of the problems we have as developers is getting players to look up. How do we get players to look up? We have to put something that gets your attention. So why do you think the lights are going over this way? Why do we have yellow up here? It's like we've conditioned you to look at colors. So we found that no, like in in testing, no one was looking up here. And then in the one in one of the commentary sessions I was going through, they actually like were talking about Portal One and like the differences in like that game versus this one. And like a little screenshot of Portal One shows up like on the oh, screen, man. so you can see. And I'm like. 
this is amazing. So obviously it's, it's, it's money, right? To do that. It's money and time, it's development resources. So I understand why it's not super common, but man, is that amazing stuff to go through and uh, like while you're playing a game that you love. I like, I'm glad I've never heard of that before. That sounds unreal. And Mm. a game like, like the portal games definitely deserve that. So yeah, I, I realized everyone could do that, but it would be amazing if, the bigger companies that can do that and have a long history, like mm. put that kind of effort into their history. That'd be so cool. Well, now I want to see that on something. I might, <laughs> uh, yeah. Look into that. Um, the only bad example I, I have as like from when I was a kid was when they did the super Mario all-stars, uh, for super Nintendo. Okay. I hate, hate, hate that art style. It doesn't look like, those games should and i know part of it's also the controls but man like they it, that game just rubs me the wrong way because they don't look like mario's are supposed to look yeah. like i'll be honest i have such limited experience with all stars because we were a genesis house when uh you know we flipped over from uh, nintendo to genesis and i own all stars I've, I've had it but almost every time i play it i'm playing world or you know like uh you know lost levels or something i don't know if i've really ever fired up any of the og ones if you ever do just yeah give them five minutes and let yeah. me know what you think because okay. i it drives me nuts i'll fire it up on the steam deck and then i'll delete the roms and i'll just switch over to the uh <laughs> originals love it. love it all right um i know there's so many beautiful games out there i just wanted to give you guys a chance to gush about your favorite ones so uh, I asked each of these guys to pick three. Uh, maybe we'll do one at a time, and we'll we'll cycle through each other here. Cool. So we'll start with Bill again, and, and give me one of your your three that you want to dig into a little bit. I'm gonna pull a Kelsey, and I'm going to use two. Um, but they're two games from the same series, um, so I, I, like I think I think it counts. Um, Ori in the Blind Forest and Ori in the Will of the Wisps are absolutely breathtakingly drop-dead gorgeous games um we're, we're talking about art style so i'm not gonna go too much into the music the music's unbelievable absolutely unbelievable especially in blind forest um but these are there's a lot of games that kind of have this 2d you know metroidvania kind of like vibe to them like hollow knight um there's uh uh um you know we've got uh uh, uh what's the one i'm blanking on um I'll, I'll just I'll just stick with Hollow Knight uh, for now, but like, there's Will of the Wisps has this just beautiful be, like to the point where like you'll transition to another area, like everything feels different. Like I really don't want to say Hollow Knight kind of seems samey, but like Hollow Knight's very dark, it's very desolate. It's it makes it makes everything feel hopeless, and that's part of like what they're trying to do. They're trying to make like bring everything down, and the different areas do feel different. Um, but not like like there's not a, a, a stark contrast between, you know, to me to, from like one area to, to the next. And Ori in the Blind Forest and Will of the Wisps are so beautifully done and so many parts of the of the environment are moving and involved and colorful and the enemies and the way the, uh, the color interacts and all the different mechanics in the different areas that are all centered around the art style. Um it is uh, I, I don't we don't want I don't want to go too long because I could talk about these for a long time, but I absolutely adore these games. They're beautiful in a way that I really don't think has been matched by any other game uh, in this uh, uh, in this game style. Um, and 
I'm it's one of those things where like I'm happy that they're they're recognized. People know these games are great. They win awards. They you know people talk about them, but it also makes me really sad that not everyone in the world has played these games because that is how good they are. They are so, so, so good and so beautiful. And I don't, and, and also not to get too, uh, you know, too teary eyed or anything, but like they are heartbreaking in the story that they tell with like really very little uh, words being spoken. There's a little bit written on the screen, but there are, really 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 sad like gut-wrenching heartbreaking things that happen in these games and i remember like sitting there in one of these scenes thinking like if they do i'm telling you if they do this i'm not playing anymore i'm I'm not and it's really really sad and it it's it's crazy when a game is able to hit you like that and there's another one of my honorable mentions that that hits that way too but i don't know if that happens without how gorgeous the game is and how like pulled into the world uh, that I am. Um, so yeah, Ori and the Blind Forest and Will of the Wisps. But, but I think on Nintendo's having a big sale right now. I think these games are like they're massively discounted. Switch, yeah. yeah, they're both on the Switch. Um, and um, uh, I know they're on Steam. I don't know what the, what the discount is, but if you have just like a passing interest in Metroidvania games, or if you've played Hollow Knight and you're into it, oh man, the Ori games are unbelievably good so i highly highly recommend you give them a look meaning to grab them forever both because of how highly they just didn't talk about in general but you've specifically talked about them Mm -hmm. before and both my kids share the middle name ori so i I feel like at least one of them would probably enjoy playing them through with me so maybe i'll do that this year wow they're they're so so good I, i can't wait to hear if uh if they're enjoyed as well in your house i think i think they would be from what i know about them uh all right chris what's your first one First one I got to go with is Street Fighter 3. That game has the most beautiful hand-drawn art I'd almost argue ever. Mm. If you watch the character movements and all the frames of hand-drawn art, if you just watch Elena's character art, it's amazing to watch the movements that they've put into that and i don't know it's just the flow of it's like this shouldn't work for 2d characters right they shouldn't be able to flow and move like they do uh that's kind of what we've come to expect from 3D games because of how obviously obviously 3D objects have to move in certain ways, right? Yeah. So when I've been doing a little bit of like my Unity tutorials and stuff too, a lot of them are talking about like how many frames in your animation takes. And so like, yeah, it looks great to put in more animation frames, but then they play really crappy a lot of times because you're waiting too long for a move to connect and stuff. But yeah, Street Fighter does not have that problem. Like they no. figured out that perfect balance there. Yeah, and... I think that's it, right? I mean, Street Fighter 2 got hashed out a lot, and then Alpha, you know, was around. And um, and then 3 was like, no, we're taking it top tier, right? Because a lot of the older games were built on, like, you know, run-of-the-mill hardware or, like, stuff that was sitting around. And this is like, nah, this is going to be this CPS 3 big, awesome 2D monster system. And, um, 
Yeah, I, I don't know how else to describe it. If, if you've never played Street Fighter 3, shame on you. Um, <laughs> I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm great at it, because when it comes to parries and things, uh, that game is too technical. I never got really great you at it. Had your your Daigo Justin Wong moment? Well, I mean, there's that stuff. But um, just even now, I mean, like, you, you can tune in to Street Fighter 3 tourneys now all the time on Twitch, if you ever want to watch. And... Um, just to watch for a while, just the beauty of what they put together still holds up fantastically. There's still lots of people playing those games. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, fantastic pride to me. Some of the pinnacle of 2d art. I went to the store planning on buying alpha three for the dreamcast and the guy working there at the time, he said, just let me put in street fighter three on the demo and like, just let me show you. And he put them side by side and Street Fighter uh, Alpha I had played. He put in, I can't remember if it was Double Impact or Third Strike. Um, I own both of them eventually, but not only does it seem like there's like just never-ending number of frames of animation for like every movement, the character models are so much bigger than the Alpha models. Like you feel like you're kind of like looking through a telescope and then like you play street fighter three and like, it just feels like those are the only two things that matters all the two big characters, but just looking at, uh, you know, just like the stances of someone just kind of like standing there to get ready are gorgeous. And then like they swing a leg. And a lot of times in street fighter, you used to like, you know, kind of that one or two frames where like, you know, the leg is up, the leg is down. And then it's not just that, like you actually like see the torque in their body because like the the kick's gotta like get through there, and then once the kick is through, like the fabric of the the pant like catches up to it. Like there is nothing else that looks like this game. It is unbelievable to this day. Yeah, I can't even imagine how much time went into drawing all that artwork. That, that's yeah. why we don't see that anymore. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's why everything's three D. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So mine. I need to piggyback off that. There is, I, I don't disagree with anything that was just said. I wholeheartedly agree. The only game that rivals that for my money is King of Fighters 13, where they they went the exact same style. Like it is that fluid, beautiful moment, beautiful movement. Uh, the backgrounds are all just gorgeous and alive, and not not distractingly so, but they they're not static either. Mm. um and yeah like the the characters in the game not definitely not as well known as street fighter but man it's <laughs> these characters have been around since the mid 90s and these are the best interpretations i think we'll ever get of all of them i remember yeah. even like yeah. capcom versus snk like how pretty good too yeah beautiful mm-hmm. and you'd have those different styles like you could get like the snk style of the capcom yeah. characters and vice versa and so yeah, I mean, yeah, SNK always was that close second row, right? Of yeah. of pulling in the artwork. And uh yeah, I've got like that SNK artwork book that I've got and it's just beautiful what was put together for those games. Yeah, so I don't need to talk about this one too much cuz it's it would basically just be rehashing everything Chris just said because they're they're very similar in style. But man, I I just it's one of those games where if I'm feeling like I just need some eye candy, like I just mm. pop it in, do a couple matches, and I'm good. Does it make you feel bad? Because to me, at least, in my opinion, KOF, when it went to 3D, 
has never really looked very good again. I absolutely agree. Like 13 being like one of my favorite fighting games, one of I think the prettiest games ever, going to 14, which looks like it got a lot of like a lot of flack for looking like a PS2 game on the PS4. And then 15, I was, you know, hopeful because they got so much flack, they they do something different, but they're like, "Now nah, we're just you know, the mechanics are there and it plays good, but yeah, they they don't look good. 3D KOFs do not look good. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, and I get where you're coming from when you guys talk about the 3D Street Fighters. Um, but I don't think they've taken the beating that KOF has graphically. No, they, I, I, yeah, I'll agree with no. you there. They, they, as much as I dislike the Street Fighter art styles, they look much better than the King Fighter 3D art styles. Yeah, and that's a shame because, yeah, you're right. It used to be gorgeous. Yeah, yeah every one they put out in the 90s was beautiful. And yeah, once they started going in the 3D, they, they haven't, uh, they lost that style. They haven't been able to do things with it like uh, like Guilty Gear, Blast Blues, Dragon Fight, Dragon Balls, game I was talking about earlier. Like th- those at least have some flair to their art style and some mm. personality. And yeah, King of Fighters lost that completely in their 3D versions. Yeah, it's a shame. It is. All right, Bill, what's your number two? So this is a little indie game uh, that everyone has heard of um, because it's been around. It's been uh, uh, played a ton. It's been remade, uh, you know, like uh, like upgraded. Um, it's it's very simple, but the art style is striking, even though it is like uh, more on the simple side. But a game that I could not put down when I first got it, uh, and a game that I told people. To, you have to play this game. You have to turn your lights out. You have to play it early morning or in the evening. You have to turn off like your notifications on your system. Like get immersed in it. Is uh, Play Dead's Limbo. I okay. love this game to death. It's very simple. It's all black and white, um, and it's not black and white just meaning that the color's been sucked out. It's just very dark and. Uh, it's all it's very much played in the shadows there is actually a little bit of color if like you, if yeah, you look like for the, it the chicks and stuff like yeah, yeah little puzzle elements there's certain things that uh, you can tell there is some color but it's got a very washed out look to it it's got very interesting sound going on as well if that's included in the uh, in the art design um but it just has this phenomenal way of dropping you in this world with really no explanation and just using the events to kind of teach you what's going on like you are not safe you are being pursued or you are pursuing someone there's uh you know there's very little told to you all you know that you can do is you can jump and you can grab onto something and i'm not usually you know like i don't need my hand held completely but like i like to be told like a little bit like help me out what am i doing here they're like no like just go that way just go that way and figure it out and every time you reach a spot where you don't think you can go on and then you you look at the uh you know what's in front of you it's it's one of those games that i kind of had to stop sometimes and just kind of like you know put the controller down take a few laps look at it try something again but it was almost always something i mean it was always something in the environment um but it was so cool the way that it was presented to you because of that art style whether it was something that was in a shadow that you didn't think you could use or whether it was something that you'd used previously but you had to use it differently but the art style was what really pulled me into that game. It's what keeps me in there. It's one of the things that uh, where I get that immersion factor. 
and um, similar to their follow-up game uh, uh, Inside, uh, which I also really, really, really love. Uh, but Limbo is a game that that really, really like stuck with me, still sticks with me, and I still recommend for people to play. But it's not a long game; it's probably a few hours long um, if you just uh, can mm -hmm. sit down and do it in a sitting. But it's one that I will just randomly kind of come across in my collection and just fire up and like play over a couple days if I got a little bit of time. It still still has a big impact, especially uh, that ending sequence where you've kind of finished that final puzzle and then it kind of slows time down. And yeah, it's it's oh man. The, and then just just thinking about going through with like, you know, there's different areas where like you'll be in the woods and then you're kind of more an industrial and then there's like buildings and then there's like the hotel sign that's like falling and then there's machinery and it somehow like all works in this just very dark shadowy washed out art style where you kind of just see the protagonist's like eye is like the main uh, kind of like a, a like white light source, not light source, but like the white light that you get uh, on the screen there. but. Yeah, really, really one that sticks with me. I, I love Play Dead. I was very excited for Inside. Very happy with that. Uh, they do tend to take a little bit of time making their stuff because I think they're just a small team that just gets basically grants from their government, which is how they make money because they're considered, a, a, like every time they make a game, oh, we want to thank the you know the Denmark uh, government for the, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the art grant for, uh, you know. So I, I think they, they take a little bit of time. But yeah, I... I think this is a game that a lot of people are familiar with, but if not, it is not expensive, it's not long, and it is still awesome, and there's not a whole lot out there that looks like it. All right, Chris, what's your number two? So this one, uh, I'm just going to go with Bioshock. Awesome. And I'm going to go with that because of the art direction of the world itself. I really, really enjoy games where the world is a major player, is a major character, yeah. right? It's not just some dull backdrop that you could slap on anything, right? It, the That weird, out-of-time, art deco... But for some reason, all this stuff happened in the in the late fifties, mm. and was built at a time where that tech shouldn't have existed. But you know, obviously, it does in the game, and mm. you look. It gives you a reason to look around the world and just kind of take in what this place is and what's happened there, and it creates. I think the amazing part about that as well is that it creates this stifling environment that I think is unique where you're under the ocean. Everything is encapsulated and you know out there is death, right? And it, it kind of adds this extra weight to everyone that's in this area is trapped. Mm. Nobody's getting out, right? And... It's almost like that nobody's getting out alive yeah. kind of feeling. And the characters, I mean, obviously, like Sander Cohen is obviously one that's brought up a lot. Um, just he's creating this art 
which is obviously um, murder. Um, but even the way the splicers look and what they've done and how just everything in the environment comes together. And even that first scene where you go down in the bathosphere and you're kind of seeing everything play out as you go through. I don't know. It's just, it's the art in that game is really amazingly well done. Yeah. This was on my, on my very short list and it was in my mentions the begin the intro to this game and the intro to infinite are two of the most like the, and i've mentioned full throttle before as like a game that i've probably started 900,000 times cause i love the <laughs> intro so much bioshock 1 i have started and shown maybe like 30 people the beginning of this game because it perfectly perfectly sets you up to know what this game is you know immediately it's it's got purpose it's got politics it's extremely unsettling just being there and everything contributes to that and the fact that the things that are that are down there that are unsettling you are things that would not unsettle you if you weren't in this setting is even more brilliant and oh man the uh, uh like everything the sounds are accurate to the sounds these machines would make, but the fact that they're so jarring and bell-like and ringing, like everything is unsettling down here. And it's part of the reason why it's, it's, I, I remember like in my head, like I want to play the game, but like right before I hit launch, I'm like, I'm not going to feel good. <laughs> yeah. Not everything to, and that's, is and that's designed. I Resident Evil games either. I'm like, yeah. I'm not going to feel good when I go in here. Right. Yeah, everything is designed to make you uncomfortable, and there's no respite. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, there's no happy place to go. Yeah. And there's and not going to be a good thing to come out of this. And in that Sander Cohen sequence you talked about, there's multiple parts to it. So once you f- figure one out, it's like, all right, I have several more to go and I got to go in this dark area and I know the lights are going to turn out and I know people are going to scream and it's going to be... Yeah, but yeah, 100% could not agree more. Uh, unbelievable art direction in all of the bios. But yeah, one is a, a ridiculous setup for the rest of the series. Definitely. Kelsey? Um, if you've listened to me talk about any games in the last two years, this one should be no surprise. Uh, but Octopath Traveler. Yeah, there is it is. <laughs> one of the best looking games ever. And man, am I thrilled that Square feels the same way and they did it in Triangle Strategy and they're doing it in this Live Alive remake because this 2D HD thing they've come up with is just one of my favorite ways to look at a game. Um, the like when you're in the sand and you're just seeing these little sparkles in the distance mm, or the yeah. water, it kind of has a blur effect to it. Uh, it just makes the background seem way more alive than any other 2d game that I've ever seen. Mm. And when you hit those boss sprites and they're just these huge hulking <laughs> monsters, even though you're just fighting a regular old fat dude or something like, yeah. Oh, they put so much effort into them. Uh, it's just, it's beautiful. And the like panoramic, like layered effect, where there's like kind of three layers to everything you're looking at is yeah. just phenomenal. And they use like the, I mentioned like the blurring when you see the, the water, but they use like blur effects to, to make 
emphasize different backgrounds or different layers more or less depending on what you're doing or where you are and it's just it's so cool i've never mm-hmm. seen a 2d game really pop like that before and I'm, I'm so happy that they feel the same way and they're they're putting that into more games it's not just stuck on this one game forever because yeah i just i love it the more the merrier in this this kind of thing yeah. for me it's been yeah. on my list for so long. It was added to Game Pass not too long ago. I fired it up, and I realized that I didn't have time to dump into it at, the, at that time, but I played about like 10, 15 minutes. The music hits right away. Oh, yeah. This is the music <laughs> like episode, right, but right yeah, away. it's one of my favorite soundtracks. And I was ever. like, ooh. So I was like, you know what? For the sake of not just starting it and stopping it, I'm going to like wait until I have like little investment time. But yeah, I'm very... Do you, do you remember which character you started with? Uh, I couldn't tell you. It was it was right, it was probably a few months ago. Yeah, but yeah, I will. I could, you know I've set up the save file. I could fire it up and just tell you who I started with. So I'm just curious. Yeah. 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 All right. But yeah. Uh, it's so... it's all it's also half off on Steam right now. If any uh, PC guys out there and or Game yeah, Pass, that's right. it's, it's available. PC now. Yeah. I hate that I couldn't get into that game. I agree with mm-hmm. you. That's gorgeous, and I'm really looking forward to Triangle Strategy and this artwork. I just hate it that I didn't like the gameplay. So I'm. I'm really hoping that um, I can. I do like the art style, though. I really want to see them work more with it. Hopefully, how I feel about Octopath is how you feel about Triangle Strategy. I would love that. I hope. I hope it hits you that hard. I love the demo. All right. That brings us back Mm. to Bill. What's your your last game you want to dig into here? So, this is a uh, uh, AAA game that absolutely everyone has heard of um i love the first one i love the second one that kind of went off the rails for me a little bit but that doesn't change how impactful this game was uh and it owes everything to its art style um which it you know continues to to lean on and uh both with just characters and environments and humor and uh you know forgetting for a second the directions they're going that are not i'm not like super into the first two borderlands games uh okay are like two like so again following this theme of like borderlands one i played before it came out at an event for a retail company i used to work for and i kind of heard about it like on the side here and there but then i played like you know for 10 15 minutes and i was like oh that's kind of cool like maybe that'll be good and that was the first very early i was the first time i remember like shooting in like a first person shooter and seeing like damage numbers come up and i'm like oh because that's something i'd expect to see in like an rpg or something like that Mm -hmm. and but that's what they were marketing as a shooter rpg uh and i think their exact line because they wanted their brand of humor on it was like oh like if like a shooter in an rpg had a baby right so um I mean, of course, since then, many, many games have, you know, incorporated RPG elements um, uh, with shooters. But uh, their other big thing was like weapons, like there's like unlimited number of weapons because they can kind of be like, you know, generated randomly. And that to me was always the thing where it's like, well, that doesn't sound good. It sounds like you're going to have like a whole bunch of crappy weapons because no one's paying attention to (laughs) making good weapons. Right. But then after playing it, it's like, oh, well, actually, what ends up happening is you start to learn this is the kind of weapon that this foundry has. And this is what these ones do. And then this one really funny one, you reload the weapon by throwing it at an enemy. And then like another one just materializes in your hand because it's like this like weird like space energy magic. Um, but yeah, I mean, everything goes back to that art style. And I talked earlier about how like cell shading was this like very overused kind of like 
junky, um, gimmicky, tropey thing that happened early on. Something that I'm, I'm not an artist, I can't describe uh, accurately like what they're doing here, but it's not just a cell shaded game. Like they, they, they kind of take this concept and they build on it by adding these accent lines or these, you know, little pieces of, um, you know, like just extra texture or like a little bit of extra color. So it's not just like straight cell, uh, but it's, it's works really well. The environments are huge and varied. And this is what I've gotten to before. This is a game that, once I got it at, at retail, finally came out. I was like, oh, yeah, I played this demo a while ago. It was great. I played, you know, early on you play, you, know, you level up, you level up, and then you kind of play, like, in this initial, like, kind of skag area. I loved it. And then a buddy was over, and I was like, listen, you have to play the beginning of this game. Like, you're not going to believe how good it is. And then I had him, like, log in on my Xbox. He played, like, the first 10 minutes of it. He said... I have, to, I have to go buy this game right now. So then we drove to the store. He bought the game. We set up like another Xbox with another TV in the room. And then we would just kept recruiting other people. So I've probably taken like 15 people through like the first like half hour, you know, 45 minutes of this game. And then being four player co-op where it was shared experience, you could very easily uh, get someone who was like, a, like if you're level eight, you could very, very quickly get a level one person up to level eight with you because whatever you killed, he got the experience too. And it was shared loot. So, or sorry, uh, it was uh, the same loot in like the, the instance that everyone's in. Because uh, in Destiny, everyone's got their individually instance loot. So you can't steal a grab from someone. So kind of like in Diablo, where like all the stuff drops and it's like, oh, Kelsey got it. Like it's gone, right? So in Destiny, it's like, Oh, do you see an Engram there? Like, no, I don't see it. So everyone's got their own instance. So Borderlands is kind of the Diablo way where, like, you someone that, that gun drops, you pick it up. It's not available for anybody else. But you can, like, give stuff to other people. So you're dropping stuff, you're trading, you're helping people out. Uh, but, man, the art style, the humor, everything that went into that game uh, was bananas, bonkers, awesome. And then Borderlands 2 took everything that was good about that game and like made it better and they took everything that was not good about that game and they were like we're gonna make that good but then also like like take it that next step so um the 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 real drag about borderlands 3 what's good and bad about it is it's just more borderlands 2 which isn't necessarily a bad thing if you like borderlands 2 but it's like people who've been playing borderlands 2 for five six seven years are like oh like we already have this right so um but yeah, and then Tiny Tina is doing really, really well. Uh, she's a popular character. I'm not nuts about her, so it's not something that I'm super looking forward to uh, to getting through. But uh, uh, I, I feel like sometimes when something gets kind of like like you know really big in that AAA space, you kind of you know it might not get the same attention as some of the indies uh, get with some of their their art direction. But uh, Borderlands one and well, Borderlands in general, but Borderlands one and two were really 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 big deals uh, uh for me and the art style is is still something that when you go to like a convention and you see someone cosplaying Steven, like bring that up yeah you'll you'll see someone and it's like oh like what what are you are you from diablo no are you from world of warcraft no are you from an anime no like they could be from anything because a lot of that stuff kind of blends but like you could see someone across the room and just know <laughs> they're from borderlands <laughs> like yeah. that that's how 
good or like you know specific and, and recognizable that art style plus, is. Plus, then they always have abs because they get to draw them on. Exactly. Or yeah, th- them in three hundred. So just draw them <laughs> right on, and uh, and also um, uh, uh, the the faces. Um, there's yeah. there's a lot of masks. Uh, like kind of like the the what do you call them? Uh, like the the bandit mask with like that that symbol. So they're very recognizable. And a very popular female uh, cosplayed character is Moxie, so she's you know you're gonna recognize her. And then with like the white face and like the the red circles and but that same thing. Even when like a, a person is cosplaying this cel shaded character, they just kind of add these little you know kind of like accent marks on the makeup, and like you can tell like oh they're they're that's a drawn character. So very very cool stuff. Love still love the art style in those games, and I still do fire up the original just on a whim. Like, ah, let me just, you know, play that for 10, 15 minutes in between watching uh, scenes in Maximum Conviction. Nice. All right, Chris, last chance to deep dive something beautiful. What do you got? So I don't know if I need to deep dive because maybe it's not that deep, but something I just wanted to gush about for a minute is something that doesn't exist anymore, really. Um, and that would be Star Wars Arcade. Um for the 32x no god no (laughs) (laughs) the vector game from the 1980s from atari absolutely um vector displays are stand out so much and they're so they i don't know i don't if i'd never had somebody see one i don't even know how to describe it they just pop in a way that is is so wholly unique and these days i guess with modern 4k tvs and oleds you could probably simulate the resolution well enough these days but it still wouldn't have that glow Mm -hmm. that vector games had and star wars arcade came out in a time i was like 1984 i think um and the things that they could do with vector graphics at the time with scaling objects, rotating things around, that wouldn't come until, you know, a decade or, or more later with polygons was amazing to see at the arcade. You know, you start off, you're in the X-Wing, you, you're like in that cockpit view. You see like the little, you know, the, the cannons that are right there on the wingtips. And you're moving your cursor around, and to a degree, you can kind of control where you're flying in this first phase, and you're just kind of swooping around, and there's TIE fighters moving all around you and shooting, and, and you can shoot their their shots to deflect them, or you can shoot down the TIE fighters. And then it goes to another scene. Um, I mean, depends, again, like on the wave you're on. But, like, the next scene would be the... Um, like these towers coming up and so you're flying through these towers and to give you like that sense of scale they just kind of get bigger right but that gives you the idea that you're like flying into them and you have to shoot like these little turret embankments off the top of these towers as you're flying through and of course if you fly into a tower you're going to take damage to your shields and like the the shots that are coming at you are like these like sparkly 
fires and as they get closer to you they get bigger on the screen and if they hit you you're like this big screen covering thing and you could tell you like take a hit to your shield uh and then you go into this last phase where even here it's like it's got the uh, you know wahoo kid you know you like the whole like the trench run is there right <laughs> with the voice and you you fly down to it and so now you're in that trench run and uh, you've got things shooting at you from the walls and it's that scaling that you feel like you're in that trench making that run. And, you know, Obi-Wan comes on as that use the force. And yeah. so, of course, if if you're really keen and you're good at it, you can not shoot at all and just dodge all the shots. And that's using the force, right? You don't even need to shoot anything until you get right to the end where the, the you know, the target's coming up and you hear the voice of, like Han Solo. You're all clear, kid. And you make your shot right down. It zooms out and then boom, you get this huge explosion of the Death Star and, and this amazing, you know, bright light and... And then you get to go through and do it all over again, a little harder next time around. But um, to describe what that was to see and to play, and especially like these giant cockpit machines where you would sit down with the the, the flight yoke right there and the sound coming out from all around you and the voices. Um, man, I just... That was an experience. And it's still, to this day, You when you see arcade shows, there's going to be a Star Wars arcade game there. And people are still going to be playing that and still loving playing that game. It still gets attention. So, um, yeah, it just gives me an opportunity to gush about, about playing that game and, and how it looks. You just, then nothing like it. I'm so happy you brought that up because you're 100% right. Like, vector games... I don't think most people have experienced and they are hard to describe and gorgeous. Like if any vector mm -hmm. game, if you ever have a chance to play one at an arcade, like try it out just to see what he's yeah. talking about. Cause it's unreal. Yeah. It, worth, it, worth it your looks, time. It looks, it looks like there's something in the screen, like trying to get out. It, it's like, it looks like it's, there's, it's drawing weird depth to it. Yeah. yeah. Like it, like you could, it's, it, it's so hard to describe, but I remember knowing what Asteroids was and playing versions of it, but never playing like an arcade version. Then somebody was like, oh, it's it's a vector game. And I was like, it is? And then I finally got a chance to play one at a barcade a, a few years ago. And it's there's nothing like putting your face in front of a vector monitor and seeing it like when you, even when you shoot that uh, that that bullet out of your ship. And it just streaks and like the light, like it, it's, it creates light outside of the monitor that like, if your hand was there, it would be, you know, glowing on it's, there's nothing like, and there's been a handful of, uh, of, you know, software programs and like plugins that try to emulate what that looks like on a monitor. Nothing comes close. Uh, it, it's a little bit closer if you're running it on a CRT, but nothing can make a monitor look like a vector so if you don't see it you'll never know what it's like yeah and like i said if you if, if an arcade has one of these you're gonna see people playing them right it yeah. just it's so unique mm -hmm. anymore that it just draws people to it yeah how about you kelsey 
So my last one. Are you guys familiar with a company called Vanillaware? Oh yeah. Yeah. So they put out some of my favorite looking games. So it's hard to pick one, but I'm gonna go with Odin Sphere. Uh, which is the Norse-themed PS2 game, uh, role-playing action kind of game. But you could you could pick pretty much anything they put out, and this this kind of applies. They they've got prior to like Octopath Traveler, I think this was the coolest 2D art style I've ever seen. Where it kind of takes that Okami look, where it's it's like very painted and fluid moving, but it has like depths of layer to the backgrounds and the characters, and it it almost feels like someone cut your character model out of a piece of paper and slap them on the screen and they move independently of the rest of the uh, the game design. <clears throat> Which might sound clunky, but it looks so cool in motion. And they go pretty wild with their characters and bosses and stuff. Uh, so when you run into a dragon, like they'll take up literally the whole screen. Like in, in Odin Sphere, uh, I think her name's Gwendolyn, one of the main characters. There's multiple main characters now, but her dad is this, like, this big Viking kind of dude. So he takes up like, you know, two thirds of the screen when he's on there, just, you know, rippling muscles and armor and huge helmet. And you're this like tiny little Valkyrie girl next to him. Uh, and, and they have all these cool contrasts and like size and colors and things. Uh, and, playing in different areas like they all like you're in fairyland one time it's like bright and vibrant there's trees and flowers everywhere and then you're in a volcano and it's you know dark and gloomy it's just lava is really the only color there you go down to hell and it's like all like you know purplish and black and skeletons and things uh it was really cool use of colors uh, really cool use of that 2d like layering effect um just gorgeous uh like yeah miramasa beautiful too um dragon's crown coda princess like anything these guys put out they have one mm. out right now called 13 sentinels i haven't had a chance to play it yet i hear nothing but good things about the story too so i really really want to check that out uh, i haven't even played the uh the remake on the ps4 uh which i should probably check out because i assume it's it's the same thing just with you know a little bit prettier maybe mm. it's some extra content but uh even just the ps2 version holds up really really well it's gorgeous gorgeous games yeah i own a few of those myself and yeah i couldn't agree more those are um yeah you can tell someone enjoys what they're doing drawing the art i mean they it's not just hey i had to churn out some graphics right mm. yeah 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 and they're they're like i'm just talking about the art style but like they're deep and enjoyable games beyond that they have cool mm. stories cool characters cool combat cool gameplay all of them are worth checking out mm -hmm. all right so honorable mentions i don't want to spend a ton of time on this so if you got to say something about your honorable mention try and keep it to like a sentence <laughs> or okay <less>. that <laughs> or less yeah you just throw a name out there if you want to all right so we'll, we'll keep going with uh, bill so just rattle all your honorable mentions off, and then we'll move on to Chris. Right, I'm going to rattle them. Uh, so, Guacamelee. Uh, awesome uh, 2D kind of Metroidvania beat-em-up. Great, great art style. Um, Return of the Obra Dinn. 
Um, this is one an indie that came oh, out within the last man. few years. I really want to play this one. It looks cool. Has an unbelievable art style. It's just it's essentially just one bit graphics. So everything looks like very very simple, black and white, but like simpler than you're imagining. So give it a quick a YouTube look if you've never heard of it. Return of the Obra Dinn. Um, uh, I haven't finished this game. It's on my list of things to do. I love what I've played so far, but What Remains of Edith Finch has segments in it that completely pull you into whatever world or situation uh, is relevant at the time of the game. So, like, you could get pulled into a comic, you know, like a like a horror comic. That, you really get, that part was amazing, like exploring a house. So, like, I'm trying to keep it short because we're just honorable, but, yeah, What Remains has some awesome art design choices. Um, Donkey Kong Country, big departure from, uh, you know, the previous Donkey Kong games. But like when this came out, sent ripples through like, you know, every uh, gaming, uh, you know, group that I knew about. Uh, same thing happened with Earthworm Jim. Um, uh, I already mentioned Inside before. Yeah, uh, no one's mentioned Cuphead yet. Um, beautiful. Beautiful. Um, the, the same way that you said uh, earlier, uh, Chris, that. Uh, uh, child of eden um or sorry was it uh kelsey that said the playing the vr completely changed uh uh, yeah res um that was me with super hot knew about the game yeah kind of understood but then once i played it in vr i was like now i get it like that that was the the moment for me for the art there too yeah it's like simplicity done right yeah you get only what you need to get absolutely Yep, and then you really can mention any game from Supergiant, but let's just go ahead and say Bastion, Transistor, and um, uh, uh, Hades. Yeah, I didn't like playing Transistor, but man, it is gorgeous. Absolutely. I'm I'm with you. Bastion's my favorite. Bastion and Hades, but yeah, Transistor's beautiful. Uh, Yoshi's Crafted World. Um, com- nice. like that and Yarn World, or is it Yarn World? Or... Uh, Wooly World? Wooly World. Wooly, Wooly World, World. yeah. Mm-hmm just completely charming and beautiful in the way Nintendo does, but like just so different and, and so uh, uh, awesome. Um, I believe I already mentioned Hollow Knight, uh, Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon um, just separates itself uh, in just this awesome, awesome way that's still so self-aware and fun and funny and so cool. Um, and two games that Kelsey has played recently, um, one he likes more than the other, Castle Crashers and Piku Niku. Uh, they're both just <laughs> just fun, silly, different, uh, and and Castle Crashers being a Behemoth game, all the Behemoth games have the same uh, artists working yeah. on them, so they kind of have that that similar art between you know Pit People and Castle Crashers and and some other other games, um, but yeah, still worth a mention because they they are are kind of those signature styles. So that's what I got for the honorables. All right, Chris, what do you got? All right, a lot of these are just going to be ones that made an impact to me when they came out, and that's why I appreciate them and their art style. So I'm going to start with Sylphid on the Sega CD. Um, Sylphid itself is a very basic game. It came out on computers a long time ago, but they put in this FMV of flat-shaded polygons that are going on in the background throughout the game that really just make you feel like you're in the middle of something huge. So it's really amazing to play. Um, Daytona USA, that was like the first time in an arcade racer really grabbed me and held on to me and it was so awesome to be able to change your view and run through those tracks 
and do stupid stuff like spin around and drive head on into everyone else just to ruin their their race. <laughs> um, so yeah, I love Daytona USA. Um, Virtua Fighter, the original Virtua Fighter, when I saw that in arcades when Street Fighter really? was a thing, was never seen anything like it. And being able to start playing Virtua Fighter was, again, nothing like it at the time. Completely amazing. Um, Fantasy Star 4 has these manga panels that tell the story that kind of slide in as the story is going on. It's really well done, and I've not seen something quite do that again. So um, I was hoping you'd bring up the Fantasy Stars too, just for their colors. Like they're so yeah. bright and interesting looking compared to everything else. Yeah, I love like that panel work that they do uh, for the story in Fantasy Star Four. Uh, Rekka, because I don't understand how that happens on that <laughs> hardware. This, oh my god, so cool and amazing. And then I'm going to end it with Parappa the Rapper because. Dang it, man. When I saw that, I was so hooked. And it was so unique. And mm. still stands out. It holds up to this day. My kids love playing Parappa. And uh, just amazing, amazing graphics. Totally. Good good calls all around. All right, that leaves me. So I'm going to try and go through these quick because i got too many. Uh, so Persona 5, uh, just because of the menus. It made menus cool somehow, which is really neat. Um. So we had a bunch of games that I'm going to kind of lump together that just looked like cartoons that you could play, which is something I've always wanted to do. So Wario Land, Shake It, A Boy and His Blob, and Zack and Wiki all kind of fall in that same realm where they just have this really cool art style with those thick black lines around them. Mm. Love it. Um, Cuphead already got mentioned, so I won't, won't say much more there. Cuphead's gorgeous. Um Yoshi's Crafted World was on my list too. Uh, I'd just like to add Kirby's Epic Yarn and Kirby's Rainbow Curse to that as well. I, I really like them playing around with you know those different textures and then putting a whole game around them. Uh, much in the same of Kirby's Rainbow Curse, uh, Clay Fighter is one that always stood out to me. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Blue suede goo. Yeah, uh, it, it just looked like nothing else. Yeah. And that got me to rent it several times over. How about balls? <laughs> I was thinking I that, yeah. rented balls one time over. <laughs> one was enough. Uh, Mega Man Legends, I think, has a cool art style that holds up, even though I don't like the rest of the game. I love how it's got that cell shaded look, but the mouths are like animated. Uh, it's really neat. Probably the PS1 game I think that holds up the best for polygonal graphics. Uh, for more modern stuff, uh, Returnal really blew me away with with uh, the whole world's kind of really dark, but all the bullets and dangers are really bright and vibrant, and that contrast is really neat. Mm. Uh, looks looks gorgeous. Uh, Cyberpunk 2077, I think, is the 3D game that I like looking at the most. Uh, like, it's the closest they've got to nailing people, and they can get around that a little bit with, you know, cybernetics and stuff too, but, man, it's a gorgeous game. Uh, Mist really blew me away even though i haven't played it i remember watching trailers for it and screenshots and really wanting to just because of how it looked have you played really cool at the time mist in vr i have played no mist ever I, I hope to fix that this year play mist in vr so is one... it on psvr 
by any chance? This is the beer I have left in my house. I don't know. I know it's like on Quest and everything because I was playing it over a friend's house. And my kid has a friend. I think he's got a Quest. Maybe he'll let me borrow it one day. We'll see. Um, Bill mentioned Soul Calibur two. That one's always stood out to me. Uh, still looks gorgeous. Uh, Chris was talking about vector games. Uh, Major Havoc kind of stands out to me as a really beautiful looking vector game. Uh, Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Um, it's just kind of like Fantasy Star. Like it's the colors. Like mm. that game just uses all these really bright, popping colors that I just don't see other games do. That makes it look really unique and kind of stand out. Uh, Valkyria Chronicles and Thirteen. I'll kind of lump together. They just they're they're kind of my favorite examples of that like cel shaded era. Yeah. Um, Psychonauts. Bill mentioned too. So I don't need to talk too much about that. Uh, Dark Souls, I threw on my list too. Um, like, Anne Orlando might be one of my favorite locations in any game. Like, mm. it's so interesting and gorgeous. And the contrast to the rest of the game when you get there, like, is just so cool. I love that area. Uh, the original Diablo mm. kind of nailed that dark, sinister vibe through its art through the whole game. And, and never missed a step, even though there were several different areas. They're all super creepy, and somehow the next area just gets a little creepier and a little creepier. Love it. Uh, there's another little indie game called Sayonara Wild Hearts that I played around the same time as Gorogoa, and it's the closest I've seen to a game try to do vectory kind of stuff to it. Like Some of it's really wireframe and simple, but interesting use of colors again super fast paced short fun game really cool um and my last one is i just want to give a shout out to marvel versus capcom one and two because they mm. were kind of the first time i saw comic book characters look and feel like comic book characters mm. and they matched the capcom side really well too um so like especially in two when they had like 50 some odd characters like and everyone looked great there wasn't a single dud in there uh, even the silly characters yeah. like the Cactus Man and Sunshine and stuff, like they looked awesome. Nice. Anything else you guys want to add before we wrap up the show? Yeah, one one that I thought of when you mentioned Wii games, I was like, oh, I totally forgot about the Wii. Um, uh, Mad World is one that I oh, thought yeah, had a really, call. really sick uh, look to it. It's platinum, right? So yeah. uh, just this cool black and white with like a little bit of red in there. So it just uh, had like enough uh, style to let you know you were killing someone. Yeah, totally. yeah. It just popped into my head when we were talking about some of the stuff was Vib Ribbon. So um, yeah, yeah. Check, check out Vib Ribbon if you if you're not familiar to get back to that texture. I mean that that vector idea, uh, really cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for discussing some eye candy with me today. That was a lot of fun, and we covered tons, like dozens and dozens of games there, and yeah. uh, all beautiful. I agree with everything you guys said. Uh, even the games I don't like playing, like visually, they're still pretty impressive. Everything we talked about today, I think. Yeah, so thanks for tuning in for episode ninety-nine. I, we don't, we'll, we'll figure out something cool for hundred. I'm sure we, we've got a, a couple weeks to to talk it over. Maybe do something a little special and unique. 
Um, but yeah, thanks for joining in. Uh, if you don't, you can support us on Patreon. Uh, we really appreciate any any bucks you can throw our way to, to fix the show. We recently upgraded Bill's uh, microphone with, with some of that money, uh, which is, I thought, pretty noticeable right away. So thank you very much to all our patrons for making that happen. If you do want to join us uh, in the Discord and join our patron, it is patreon.com slash collectorcast. Uh, Bill, where can people find you online? Uh, Twitter mostly, Bill underscore McGee. Uh, and uh, any uh, any chatting you want to do about any of the games we talked about here, Steam stuff, beer stuff, Destiny, vinyl. Um, didn't mention any records this week, um, but uh, my Mortal Kombats did come in. I do have some extras that I'll be bringing to uh, Retro World Expo if you happen to mix miss out on that. And Carlos and Daniel are going to be there. So if you want to get some mortal signatures on your vinyl, then uh, we can help you out with that. But, yep, pretty much Twitter for me. How about you, Chris? Where can they find you? Oh, on Twitter, uh, at CollectorCast. I run the show account, which is half show stuff, half me stuff, but whatever. I keep it, keep it out there so people are paying attention. And... Uh, I don't know. I'm gonna see if I can swing a trip out to Retro World. I'm still kind of playing around with that idea, so I wouldn't mind. Maybe if I can get out there and sell some stuff, I can make it pay for itself. And uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, the easiest way to hit me up. Hit up on Twitter. Right. You can also find me on Twitter at Kelsey Polnick. Um, other than that, nothing too exciting going on up here. So I will wrap it up, and we will see you guys next time for episode 100. I'm like, I hate this thing. <laughs>